Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Okay, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's when... No, it's not. It's Friday. It's Friday, July 15th, 2022, and you're listening to episode number 555, which we are recording again. Uh, I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Quick happy birthday to friend of the podcast, Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Amos, how is your pad tie? Pad tie. <laughs> okay, that's making me uncomfortable. Uh, John, hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Joey will be here possibly, maybe, later on in the show when we have a little discussion about Thor Love and Thunder, little uh, Marvel movie you might have heard of that came out this past week. And why are we here? Why are we here on a Friday? Well... Uh, sometimes files get corrupted. Sometimes they get corrupted so early in the show <laughs> that you can't edit around that. Hmm. And now here we are back again. Uh, what are we going to talk about this week? We're going to talk about comics. There's a couple of news items floating around out there, especially now that we've waited a few days to uh, create this amazing content for you. And um, <laughs> I'm going to talk to you for a couple of minutes while we give Aaron some time to finish his food about how tired I am. Aww. I want to talk to you. John said earlier in the pre-show that he was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, I am exhausted. You know why I'm exhausted? Because once there was a boy. A very strange enchanted boy. Are we doing more, uh, nature boy? There was a boy. There was this kid. Oh, okay. Different song. Good and moved go to school. Uh, yeah. Moved, in, moved himself to Canada. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Um, so I've been on like a, a concert streak for the last little while. And um, I will thank everybody for indulging me and sharing this stuff. Uh I've been having a good time. I'm I'm real tired though. Like the old bones. I'm only 41, but let me tell you, I felt significantly older than that last night when I was standing around in a field for what felt like forever even though it was only a couple of hours. Yesterday was a long day. Uh I'll get to that, but before I do, uh I had the pleasure of going out to Detroit to see Pussifer live in concert. Uh, this is Mater James Keenan from Tool's other band. Uh, they're a very wacky band. If you've never listened to them, they kind of have themes around each album that they do. They've done like a Dark Wanderer theme, um, just weird, uh, like a 
luchador wrestling theme to another one of their albums. And now for existential reckoning, they're doing kind of like a G men, men in black uh, conspiracy theory, alien invasion, secret society kind of thing. And so they perform the entire new album, every single song, uh, and then a whole other set of other songs mixed in. The so- The set itself was about like two and a half hours. Absolutely incredible. They just announced a second leg of their North American tour. Uh, if you're at all curious about them and you know, you're cool with going to concerts again or whatever, you should definitely check them out. Uh, tickets will have gone on sale on Friday, the day that we're releasing this episode. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking about going again in November. Why not? Even if it's just me, I just, mm, it was such a good time. I kind of want to see it again, uh, even knowing what I'm in for, but it's amazing. They have like men in black walking around the audience, pulling people out and kind of throw, throwing them to the side. They had like alien invasion. They were trying to probe the performers. It was, uh, mm. it was a whole thing. Uh, I loved it. And I saw Manchester orchestra at history, there's not a whole lot to say about that one other than the venue was a huge pain in the ass to get to. It took two and a half hours to find a parking space, then had to Uber over to the venue. So that was a good time. Mass transit, I'm just saying. Ugh. But the um the show itself, the the show was great. Like they they sounded amazing. Um it was worth it. In the end, it was worth it. I just I would train it into that venue the next time that something cool plays there. Uh which brings me to why I am exhausted today. Yesterday, I went 15 minutes away from my house to Harris Park uh in London, Ontario, and they threw uh this yearly or used to be annual until COVID came around. Uh this is the first Rock the Park festival in I think 3 years. And I saw, let's see, let's look at this lineup here. <clears throat> the day started with crash test dummies. Wow. The beaches, garbage, and Alanis Morissette. That's pretty cool. It was very cool. I got to tell you, I did not anticipate. I actually, I my, my grand plan was to not arrive until the beaches were ready to take the stage, but I ended up getting there early. Uh, and saw so saw everybody like in full. Uh, Crash test dummies had just taken the stage when we when we got there. I was not expecting to be into Crash Test Dummies at all, <laughs> and I don't necessarily know that I love the music overall. But them as a band, like them just having fun on stage and enjoying the idea that they're still together and they're still playing. You you got that from them as they were going through their set, and it was it was fine. Like it was totally, it was a nice way to pass forty five minutes of watching this band that you kind of remember, you know, playing all of their songs and waiting until the very end <laughs> to play their biggest hit because they know that that's what they got to do. <laughs> anyway, they were very cool. Uh, then the Beaches came out, who I absolutely love. They I equate them to kind of like a modern day like very much Joan Jett or the Go-Go's just lots of crazy energy, really infectious, groovy songs. Uh, and they're, they're all like, they're all in their twenties. It, it's ridiculous. They have so much talent. Uh, one of the, the lead singer, their music teacher showed up to the <laughs> festival and was kind of like right off the stage and she recognized them. It was very cool. Uh, we saw garbage. Let me tell you, 
That was my favorite set of the day. Garbage ruled. They came out. They were so loud. And Shirley Manson was angry. No. <laughs> she was angry. No, when, she, when she, she, I think she always was, but maybe even more now. What do you think? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. There's been, there's been some fuel added nice. to the fire for sure. Like in between each song, she kind of addressed the crowd and, you know, talked about Roe v. Wade, yes. talked about the idea, not, not the idea, the fact that she was there with other female fronted bands between Alanis and the beaches and how the beaches was made up of all women. And she's like, it's nice to be on a show where that's the case. And, you know, it's nice to see uh, a bit of change in, in these lineups and in the industry and in the, in the talent coming through, so on and so forth. Um, and, like, their, their hits, opposed to, like, the new album that came out, the new album that came out is has a lot of commentary, a lot of commentary for men in particular. And it was hilarious because my friend Brad had, hasn't heard the new album yet, but he knew every song that was from it just by the lyrical content that was being sung. Oh yeah. It's good. Like it's very good, but it is hyper focused on pointing the finger and, and for, you know, for damn good reason. But anyway, garbage was phenomenal. I was really, really blown away by their set. I need to figure out what songs they played because it was the last song that they played. I have no idea what it was. That was Mm. my absolute favorite one of the night. Quick question. Um, yeah. When you see Shirley now, do you think of Astrid Muller from Clean Room? You know, I didn't think about that until you said it. I think she's definitely the model that Gail and uh, <laughs> her crew did. Man, I don't mm, – maybe. She had, like, wildly pink hair. Oh, okay. It was very visible from, from wherever. I've seen her with, like, the darker red and a couple of other shades, but this was – like standout pink. It was awesome. She played a great um, role in the second season of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Did and she? She, uh, she was awesomely evil with who knows what else is going on in the background. And she was, uh, boy, a highlight. It was a great show, but she was one of the highlights. And I always found her to be right where Astrid was. <laughs> nice. Just think. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 it's all good. No, she was, she was great. The whole band was great. Like seeing Butch Vig on the drums and stuff like that. He's a legend yeah. in that field. And I just, I don't know. They, they were, they rocked. Um, for Alanis Morissette, it's really unfortunate. The band was amazing. She was phenomenal. She is like straight up rock diva at <laughs> this point. Her, she's, she's wild. Um, but, I don't know what happened, but whoever they got to mix that set and to work the boards for her performance, there were all kinds of technical issues for like the first hour. It was like you could hear the crowd talking to each other more than you could hear the music. They were turned way, way down. And I don't know if that was by request, but it was like people were leaving because it was so it was so heinous at one point there was like a mass exodus of people just leaving because they were they were fed up with it but we stayed all the way through and it did get better and then eventually it was perfectly fine but watching her perform I don't I only know a handful of her songs but she's got some range she's got some crazy crazy range 
and a lot of heart goes into some of her like other material, all the stuff that I didn't know. Um, very, very passionate. And, and I was really kind of captivated by her and did not expect that. I was kind of checking out uh, mentally a little bit for some of the songs. They were maybe just a little bit slow and not, not as engaging and not being familiar with them. I was a little lost, but every time I got lost, she pulled me right back in nice. uh, to the set. And I was just really, really taken by that. And so uh, when people are listening to this, I'm going back for the, um, the R&B night with uh, TLC as the headliner Ooh. Uh, for that. And uh, Aqua, by the way, previously we were talking about Aqua on the other recording saying that Aqua was upset that people <laughs> labeled them as the Barbie band and nothing more. Let me tell you, I went and listened to some Aqua stuff after we had that conversation a lot of it sounds exactly like the Barbie song. It's a Barbie a lot of it. world. I'm a Barbie girl. Um, Fantastic. Yep. In plastic. Sorry, I listened to that all the freaking time because of my daughter. It's all good. Wow. Uh, how did and she super get, quick? Yeah, go, 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 go ahead. Bob. I was just say, how did your daughter find Aqua? Just from Barbie? Barbie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She. Uh, dun, 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 I think YouTube Barbie. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, YouTube Kids Barbie, and that song was on. And they have an Alexa in their room that they can listen. They oh, ask for music. And I think she asked for the Barbie song. And I'm walking down the hallway, and it's like the cringe. Like I just remember that that <laughs> song of like the early 2000s. And I was like, no, because kids have a terrible habit of listening to the same songs oh, on rotation. I was oh, yeah. heard Barbie 500 times over a weekend, and so yeah could you imagine how much parents heard that song back when it came out oh yikes i can't even like it that's... was everywhere it was one of those like they better be happy that because that song is probably still paying for their hopefully they have the they have the publishing yeah that's uh, yeah they're, that's they're, true they good. lost the publishing rights yeah. hey it could be it could be baby shark your daughter was playing it could be worse oh I, do, we've do, did do, we did do, the baby do, shark do, <laughs> Yeah, Baby Shark rules. Anyway, uh, so the, the, this lineup is TLC, Aqua, Ja Rule, DMC of Run DMC, wow. Jenny uh, Bergren of Ace of Base, nice. 112, and Two Live Crew. I thought Ja Rule was still in jail from the Fire Island fiasco. Yeah. Well, he got out to play gotta Rock pay, the Park. He's got to pay all those concert goers back. Listen, Ja Rule said... It wasn't me. I wasn't there. I, yeah, he I wasn't was just, there. That was, was like, the problem. I, he's like, I was just, uh, uh, I was just entertainment. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with it. Let that other right. guy. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know this Ja Rule story, but I don't know that we have time. You never to heard get of Fire into Island it. when the guy sold the giant? Oh, I heard of Fire Island. Yeah, was ja he involved? Fire Festival. Was one of the backers. Yeah. Fire, Fire Festival. Festival. Fire Festival. Yeah. He was one of the original backers, and then he tried to say he was just talent. And they released Whoa. all these uh, court documents showing that he Oops. was like one of the promoters. No way! Yeah, that was crazy. My favorite is when, and I'm going to see him yep. live. My favorite was when they thought they were getting their gourmet food and they put out uh, <laughs> cheese sandwiches on Wonder Bread on a paper plate. Oh my like, god, go. that's one of the best documentaries because mm. those entitled kids are like looking around. And it's like, uh, yeah, this isn't going to be what you thought it was. <laughs> they were intense outside. Basically in a field. Yo, they've added a day to this festival, like a whole day. Well, who's the next day? Something called Fizz Fest. It's a Saturday. Oh boy. I like think five, it must go. 
Fizz Fest. I don't know. I, I'll 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 look into that later. Let's, Let us know. Let's what, see, I want to know what's at Fizz Fest. That's for sure. beer and music. Uh, Virginia to Vegas, Kiza, Alisa Reed, and Reeve. I have no idea who these people are or what kind of music. How they much do. is it? Oh, I don't know. For this, probably ninety for the day. Ooh. Oh yeah, okay. it's a it's a ticket. It's a ticket. Friday is ninety bucks. Um, all right, let's move on. Moving on. I didn't think that spot was gonna was gonna be that. It's a good spot. Hey. Sure. Look, I love live music. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. It is my happy place. And to think, three weeks um, ago, you were gonna give it I'm, all up. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right, John. <laughs> I told you. I don't know who that was. Imposter. Um, no, I'm not, I'm never going to give it up. I do need to, I do need to roll it back a little bit though. Like it's partially not my fault because all the stuff that got canceled that was spread out throughout the last little while all got condensed into a, a few months because everything mm-hmm. opened back up again mm-hmm. and people just jumped on whatever was available. The guy from Manchester orchestra, we sang happy birthday to his kid at the show and he filmed it because he wasn't going to be there for his eight year old's birthday because he was out awesome. partying for us. So it was very cute. Hey Steve, you know, if, if we cute. go back some years when I was younger, there would have been a summer where at the Jones beach amphitheater, I was probably there 60% of the weeks they had. Oh. Right. I mean, they'd run these great shows. Uh, you guys who aren't from New York, it's outdoors on fire Island in essence with, you're in the bay. The, the 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 concert stage is in floating in the bay. The seats are right there. You're out in yeah. you're out in the in the, the the gorgeous summer night on this bay. Sound quality is excellent for an outdoor amphitheater. They used to do sort of Broadway level shows there, and just yeah. one of the best places to see a show. And it's you just have these awesome lineups. You know, oh, I'll go see that one. I'll see that one and that one. And I saw, I was actually thinking about Jones Beach yesterday as I was at this thing um, that I saw the, I saw, was it Willie Porter, Toad the Wet Sprocket, and the Cranberries. That's a good one. That's a good gig. It was the No, it was the no Need to Argue tour, and it was phenomenal. I think that was my second show that I ever went to by myself was, was Cranberries. Uh, my favorite. Um, my, anyway, my favorite. I'll, I'll finish with this. My favorite moment right. there. I get, but I, I got to go backstage there a lot of times, and the old Broadway sets are back there, palm trees from South Pacific, whatever. And you have to go under the water to get there, which is kind of cool. I saw White Snake with with Steve Vai on guitar <laughs> in the in the absolute pouring rain. It was awful, but we were sitting in about the third row, so the stage blocked most of it. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it all sort of breaks and the clouds part and David Coverdale changes up the set and bursts into In the Still of the Night with Steve Vai just wailing. It's like, okay, you're going to pick that song to play right now. You got me. Yeah, that's your, your performer. You got it. You got it, David. Tony Katane comes out of nowhere. You don't need your wife on the channel, right? <laughs> the late, the late great the late Tony Katane. Yes. <laughs> Star of Bachelor. Oh, that's a good movie. Love that movie. <laughs> okay. Cleveland, <laughs> right. the pennant? <laughs> no, let's do this. Let's do this. Aaron, save us. Lightning round time. Oh, all right. I'm glad I finished my uh, pad thai. All right. We, here we go. Go. 
go. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right. So I got two books. Uh, first book, a book I'm very, very excited about. A book I was very, very excited about when the first uh, volume of it came out. Well, volume, maybe story, maybe series. I don't know how you want to call it. Uh, it is a book by Mark Millar and Matteo Buffini, Buffini. Buffini, sorry, I'll get it right eventually. Edit around that. Um, it is Prodigy, the Icarus Society, uh, issue number one. You recall I talked about Prodigy uh, previously as part of our year end. It was one of the books that I was incredibly fond of uh, because of the story that it was telling outside of your normal superhero DC Marvel big two sort of shenanigans. It follows Edison Crane, who is believed to be the smartest man in the world, also a gazillionaire, um, inventor, scientist, all these things, um, who essentially has positioned himself as a celebrity, but also a problem fixer, problem solver, who when times are in need, He's called upon by governments, by agencies, by everyone in between. So we find ourselves that after he's, you know, completed his last little mission, his little, uh, what do you want to call it? His little adventure in the first volume, sort of continuing to do those types of things. We see some time jumping around, popping in and out of different things that he's experiencing and experimenting with. Again, resetting your expectations of what he's capable of. Uh, just showing that he can pretty much do anything he puts his mind to because he can sort of split his mind into doing a zillion different things at once. Um, but as we find out as you go through the story, he does have a weakness. And that weakness is that if he's not being challenged, he's sort of just, I don't know, he's not excited. He's he's not driven. He's not, um, he does, if he doesn't have a mystery to solve, he doesn't really find meaning in things. He doesn't really find a reason to move forward. We also find out that one of those little missions that he was on as the uh, book was sort of setting itself has has meaning because it introduces us to members of what's called the Icarus Society. And the Icarus Society is a little Illuminati of other super geniuses who all are essentially trying to challenge him um, and get him to bend to their will, which leads to a little bit of a scrape he gets in. Uh, which I look looks like it's going to kick off into a really cool adventure. Um, there's a nice little cliffhanger there. Super excited about it. Um, I just needed a book that was going to sort of put me in this adventure, sort of fly by the sea of your pants mindset right after Seven Secrets is wrapped. So this came right on time. I strongly recommend you check it out. It's written beautifully. Uh, the art I really, really enjoy. So um, thumbs up to that one. Next book, Strange Academy number 18, Scotty Young, Umberto Ramos. Long story short, the kids left the school following behind Emily, who's trying to get them all to unionize and do all the things that <laughs> she thinks they deserve to have done for them. Uh, they're hiding out of the Sanctum Centaurum, having pizza and all that stuff, having a little slumber party. When finally someone asks, so, Emily, you got us here. We've run away from home, essentially. We're hiding out. What's the plan? Emily's response? Oh, I don't know. And so here we are. Uh, kids on the run, no plan. And I'm just going to say it again. I was right. So <laughs> Aaron was right. We also have a – Aaron was right. That needs to yeah. be a hashtag. Make it happen. I think so. You should you should put that on the opposite side the of the look for the mug. <laughs> I'm telling you, talking comics, Aaron was right. 
Um, a couple of other things are happening in the book. We also get a little bit of a hint as to why things are going in the direction they're going. Uh, Doyle has a vision, and it's a vision of Emily that is not exactly a, a cheery, go, a cheery happy, happy ending type scenario. Um, this vision, you know, causes him to really freak out and wonder what impact he's had on the future, you know, as he is the one who's destined to basically destroy the world. Um, we also got the teachers on their uh, quest to find the kids have a little bit of a, I don't know, what do you want to call it, like a little footloose dance-off situation going on there between the parents and the kids that don't go well for the parents. Um, a whole lot of stuff happening. Um, and I just, I, I am sad that it's probably going to be a little while before this book comes back in whatever form it's going to come back in or these characters show up in whatever form they're going to show up in. But um, I'll just wrap again with Aaron is right. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying this book. I enjoy this story. Um, I definitely think you should check it out. What are your thoughts? Where to begin? You can start by. I realized. Well, well, let's start with Aaron is right, because that made me think for a second, because we've had Aaron was right. Bob was right. We've definitely had Joey was right. We've had a John was right. Have I ever had a Steve was right? Were you right? Ever? On the history of this maybe, book, when, when, it, when it happened, Steve. Well, no, <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I can't think of a single. I can't think of a single example, and it made me it bummed me out just now. It's like, oh man, well, he's he been right about something. Well, here's the thing, though, Steve. You're very early on guessing at things, and we maybe we forget. <laughs> Sure. No, you put out you, you go yeah, for theories it. really early, where <laughs> the rest of us try to craft them. You go for it. Yeah, that's you know that's that's true. Yeah. Let's yes, let's go with that. Thank you, Bob. No problem. Save the day. <laughs> nice save, Bob. Nice save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to put a salve on that bomb. All right, um, Prodigy. You were so passionate about it the last time we tried to record this show that I bought the series then and there. Oof. So uh, I have not read it yet, but I did download it to my business and I plan on reading it hopefully this weekend so that it's we can talk fun. about it next mm-hmm. time. It looks amazing. I read the first issue back when it came out and I have no idea why I didn't continue on with it. But now that I have it all, there's nothing to stop yep. me. It's just wow. fun. I think you'll really enjoy just a, a, a clean, just sort of beginning to end run through. I think it'll read yeah. really well that way. Mark Miller's Mark Miller's hit yes. or miss, but that book really hit. That and Magic Order. Yeah. And did you read Huck, Aaron? I loved yep. Huck. Yep, yeah. with Alberto. Huck. Oh, yeah. 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 Raphael yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. Raphael yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really just good mm-hmm. books, yeah. Albuquerque's soon that. to take over Detective Comics with Round V. That's going to be some good stuff. Man, oh. I'm having deja vu. Left I, know. I know. <laughs> yeah, we're caught in the matrix, Steve. <laughs> oh no, I would do. Oh god, not to go back to the show, but you want to talk about being caught in the matrix? How messed up is it when you're at some kind of like music festival and you see the same person over <laughs> and over and over and over again in different parts of the grounds at any given time? There were thousands of people there yesterday. There was this one girl with like a half shaved head and pink hair and glasses that I saw repeatedly over and over again. It was so entertaining. Like I should have kept count. It was wild. Later he realized it was <laughs> <Yeah. the> one. <laughs> no. 
No, unfortunately, Bronwyn didn't go with me. She was still sitting out some uh, toddler crud mm. that she got. Oh, my God. I didn't even mention. I have Yay. a new niece. Congrats. Yes. Uh, she's amazing. I got to hold her and hang out with her twice. You didn't bring her to the show, did and you? No. Okay, good. No, no. She's a newborn. She's so sweet. She was born last week. Uh, she's incredible. Anyway, Strange Academy. Uh, number 18. Yeah, it's funny how in the back of that book, they're like, this <laughs> summer, the continuation, the next semester. And I'm like, well, not after like a four month hiatus. But um, what was I? What did I say last time? I said something about just the art in that book for all that it has been amazing throughout this issue was just mm-hmm. particularly incredible uh i think we mentioned the shading and the cross oh, hatching almost his detail <laughs> the texture yeah. the texture and the yeah. coloring the texture yep. that oh. the dark with the bright oh the so color. good yeah it's, it's so good that's <laughs> all you can say it was such a good and aaron was right Aaron was right. And I think like for for as much as the Emily stuff can enrage, I also love the idea of that character coming into the story Mm -hmm. as one thing and then completely turning into something else by the end. Like we don't want to spoil the final page, but what she's capable of by the end of this part of the series is really severe. Like. Strange Academy has messed up by by as as ridiculous as she is to stage this walkout and that or organize this walkout and then not have a plan is stupid. But like Strange Academy was very loose with some of these students and some of them are are capable of like untold power and maybe just a little bit more monitoring, a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more, you know. Well, so two things. First, just to because I realized we probably didn't clarify what I was right about. <laughs> Everything I realized. Everything. Let's 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 go back to me being right. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 start there. Um, no, the the whole thing because I realized if they don't have context, they have no idea what we're talking about. The whole issue is Emily basically galvanizing the students to walk out. Um, when they're they're coming at this scenario, they're coming at the situation that they're in from different perspectives, and that Emily can easily walk out and walk back into her life and be this normal looking human girl who gets to you know live a normal life, and the rest of the students can't really do that. Um, she made the assumption in organizing this thing that everyone wanted the same thing and that they were all on the same page, got them all out, t- put them in in, in trouble and danger. And then come to find out she really doesn't even know what what it is they're ultimately going to do or why they even walked out. She just has this high-level idea that, well, we they shouldn't keep secrets from us. Well, basically, she's being a little brat. And so the teachers basically call her on that and basically tell her, basically, this is you having a tantrum, but you want us to treat you like an adult and be honest with you. How, how, how are those things going to work together? So that's kind of the one thing. The other thing is... I agree with you that, you know, they don't, they probably didn't know what Emily could do, but I think that's kind of in line with the vision that Doyle had um, of part of what Emily can do is because of what happened between the two of them. And so I think that's partially what is impacting what's going on, but still it doesn't change the fact that she didn't have a plan and she has a different perspective and she didn't take that into consideration. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. 
think you might be right. Just hope it comes back. <laughs> there you have within it. the near future. I just oh, hope yeah. it doesn't take three, three or four years. It'll, yeah. Hold on, though. Didn't you say? Didn't you say last time that it's been? It's in it the. It's in the back it's the of the same... book. In the page, it says the same creative team will be returning for the second semester. Awesome. So yeah, I just don't know when that's going to be because it's not this summer. Hmm. Maybe in maybe it's, September yeah. when school is cool. back in session for or a spring semester. Session. Maybe they take a they're going to take a gap year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy! All right. Um. Hmm. John. <gasps> All righty. Uh, let's start off with my summer reading project of Batman's No Man's Land. Uh, as I was gone last week, I, I said a couple weeks ago I'm going to be going up north for a little vacation at my uh, family's cabin. And the beautiful thing about the cabin is my kids sleep in a little bit later because there's nothing to get up to do. And I get to have my coffee, sit on the back porch, listen to some loons. And I read... <laughs> a lot of Batman, uh, early, late nineties, early two thousands, Batman, uh, no man's land. At first I read road to Vo- no man's land volume one and two, which is where Bruce Wayne is frantically trying to get the U S government to step in and save Gotham after its catastrophic earthquake. And the U S government says no, which is constitutionally not allowed, but we'll go with it. Um, And so No Man's Land, Gotham, is completely cut off. It's no longer part of the United States of America. It's divided up to the many gangs, like Two-Face has a territory, Penguin has a territory, the Gotham police have a territory, and it's all this almost medieval, feudal states of fighting. And Batman disappears for six months, is what the story says, and then he returns with a vengeance. Uh... I forgot how much I enjoyed this. This was one of those things you had to read. Like every week there was a new installment. Uh, and I haven't read it since then. But this is this is good stuff. You got Greg Rucka. You got Denny O'Neill. You got Doug Monk. Uh, you got Chuck Dixon. You got Devin Grayson. You got a, a just a, a list of artists. And kind of where Batman ends up today. We talk about Batman a lot. And I think Steve's going to talk about Batman a little bit later. And it kind of begins here uh, in this, this, you know, the no man's land. And then this leads into uh, what will become Gotham central and kind of this, this dark night that we know. And then that will, you know, end up in the, the Snyder to Tynan to King to Zdarsky. And it's kind of just fun to go back and read some of these classic stories. And I can justify having bought all these trade paperbacks and never reading them. Um, but the new thing I read it was Dark Crisis number two. So Joshua Williamson, uh, Daniel Sampierre. So the attack on DC's legacy has escalated. Uh, this week, Deathstroke and the Society uh, have a direct assault on Titans Tower because if you're going to take out DC Legacy, you might as well take out the Titans. Uh, it's a pretty brutal attack. There is a, a, a page with a shocking assault upon beast boy, AKA Garfield, AKA changeling. Um, you get some great Nightwing versus Deathstroke moments. Uh, 
you get a classic Superman moment with John Kent instead of Clark Kent uh, and Nightwing instead of Bruce. Uh, things kind of turn. You got an appearance of the cyborg Superman. Black Adam shows up at the end, of course, and he's an ass. Um, basically, basically saying, you guys aren't good enough. I should just do this. Uh, and then the book ends. You can't have a crisis without the GL corpse. Uh, and you got Kyle Rayner escaping a prison ship, meeting up with the rest of the corpse. And sorry, Aaron, and I know you saw it, and I know you hated it as much as I did. Joe Mullen right there on the page. No. Being incorporated into the main DCU when she should have just been left in far sector and not touched unless it's that original creative team. But that's not how DC rolls. And where this is going, I really don't have any idea, but I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time with it. It's a summer event. We got Judgment Day starting this week and we got, Blah. oh no, Bob, this is going to be good. It's Karen Gillen. You got to go with that. Um, maybe it's the summer of events uh, and maybe there'll be good ones this time, but I'm enjoying dark crisis. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's not crisis on infinite earths. It's nothing along those lines, but it's a fun read and I'm all for a fun read right now. So that is it for me. Now, the way you, you, you're framing dark crisis, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. It really is the linchpin to everything that Batman is today. Yeah. No man's land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's where that modern kind of Gotham city, Jim Gordon, Batman relationship really kind of spawns itself. Yeah. I mean, you need to, you need to make a turn away from the Miller stuff while still keeping some of that grittiness, but it definitely, I think heightened that relationship mm-hmm. and then darkened other things as well. Yeah. It's, but again, look at that, Murderous row of creators yeah. you ran down. And then it also it also creates the Bat family because you get the appearance of Cassie, Batgirl. That's right. You get that's the right. Huntress kind of gets brought into the fold. Azrael is pretty cool at this time. Yep. Oracle really takes front and center. Jim Gordon and the, the GCPD. Yeah, it, you, really a lot of the mythos of Batman that we know today kind of starts in this era. I mean, it's always been there, but this interpretation. Agreed. Uh, may have to. How many trades are there oh, that I have gee, to reread uh, now? Uh, there's. <laughs> we got to go to almost seven four hundred page volumes because oh, you got to go back to Cataclysm, the whole earthquake mm. and all that. Yeah. But, what? what? Yeah. Is there a cliff notes? Uh, there was a. Is there a cliff There was a novel version? version of it written by Greg Rucka. If you just want to get that, you can just read the book. Okay. I'll just, just put John on retainer yeah, to just, explain it all. Oh, I, between Chris and I, we can probably got you covered with Batman and Robin going back to the 60s. Well, I asked you a question the last time we tried to record this about Deathstroke, and you just flexed oh, yeah. all Deathstroke over the hates place. the Teen Titans because he blames them for killing his son, the Terminator, because he was an absent father and he can't take the, you know, it was actually him not being there for his son that got him killed rather than, you know, the Teen Titans. World's, World's best, best dad. dad. <laughs> He's got that coffee mug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, knowing what you know mm-hmm. about me and, and me as a Batman fan, do you think that I should ever go back and read Oh, no yeah. Man's Land? We got to get you more familiar with Robin okay. now. 
We got to do your Robin tutorial. Well, I reached out to Chris. We're going to get on this. Awesome. Awesome. I look, I, I welcome it. That would be really cool. That would be a fun, like month long mm-hmm. project for me. Just the Tim <laughs> cast could, could, could be a special episode for the coming. Maybe. Secrets out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our very public secrets. <laughs> yes. Oh boy, Aaron, do you have any words for Dark Crisis Two? They can kiss my ass with that Joe Mullen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, that's all I have to say about oh, that. Oh, uh, what? I don't even know who that was. Wasn't it? Was it wasn't I Joe? Really Not the Joe we know. Way the character. They shouldn't belittle her by putting her next to those yahoos. <laughs> <sighs> drawn like some random I mean here's the thing they could have literally just taken Jessica Cruz's uh-huh. figures slapped a, a penis on her forehead and dyed her and, and darkened her ink <laughs> and, she would have, it's, wow. and that's what we got on the screen <laughs> the images are, what it are yes, they are no question yeah yeah Google the image I'm just telling you it was that was just the worst. Yeah, it was disappointing. It just really, I was. just really wish. Steve, they, last time really, around, really yeah, Steve, last time around, you had some great artwork for this. I did, but now all I can picture is Joe Mullen <laughs> with a giant penis on her head. Just really is. I mean, I really do think there are. I think there's some characters that just need to not engage in the main universe. You have this whole contingent of people that love Commandy because Commandy never really. You know, mm-hmm. engages yeah. with, you know, the rest of the the DC universe. I, I just believe that should be the case for Joe. I believe there's a there's a handful of those characters that should exist out there. I think that should be the case for Joe. I go back to remember reading James Robinson Starman, and I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't ever want to see that Starman, that version of Starman, engaging with the rest of the, the DC universe, because it was just yeah. something different mm-hmm. and special and less DC and more Marvel about it, to be honest with you. That's a great um, point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In, in terms of tone, um, if you were to try to have him walk into the hall of justice and be there, you'd be like, what the hell? That's kind of how I yeah. feel about pulling noir, nuanced, small moments, big payoff, Joe Mullins, both visually and story-wise, shoehorned into this big boys and tights blowing things up and punching things scenario. That's not that's not where she exists in the universe. She exists more. It's hard to say this, but at the cosmic street level, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's not the one to be, and I think that's why her character was written the way it was, and her ring was powered the way it was. So that she was not intended to be the one, you know, who could fly across the, the you know, the, the universe on a single charge. That's not how her mm-hmm. ring works. So, yeah, that's kind of it just when you basically negate all that stuff, all the things that make the story great and make the character great by just lining her up with all the rest. Well, then, you know, what's the point? It, it despecials her if, if there is such yeah. a word. Yeah. She's such a, a fabulous character. That's an HBO Max 12-episode yeah. series that you could just do and keep telling stories of her. Just keep her away from everybody else. All right. We don't need to see her stand there with her hands on her hips with Superman and Batman or whoever's taking their place in the reasonable moment we're in right now. Yeah. 
but it's oh, I, I guess someone else created a great character. We need to bring her in because we can we can help it out. No, you can't. Leave it alone. Just stop, please. I always read Far Sector as kind of an alternate future story. Anyway, I didn't think that. I didn't ever felt a connection to the main DC universe. And like you're saying about Starman, Starman existed in the DCU, but other than a few of the early issues of Justice Society, he was left alone in in that self-encompassing mm-hmm. little universe. And other characters in the DC would drop in, but he rarely dropped in on anybody else. Yeah. Yes. I just it just wouldn't have made, even just the versions of the side characters, the what was it? The shape, yeah, yeah, and that was just so. It was just so he was just so well done. He walked this line of is he good? Is he bad? Is it just a matter of opportunity? Mm-hmm. He was complicated, complex. Um, the version of Solomon um, Grundy, Solomon, yeah, same thing. They existed in their say, but then when you see them pulled into mm-hmm. the main universe something taken away they're sort of there's a layer there's a couple layers of texture removed from them and they just become homogenized members right. of this super huge cast allowed to show those individual things that's how i feel like what they've yeah. just done with joe mullis she's another in a long line of those characters that had to be dulled down to fit into this larger landscape and i just wish there are enough green lanterns boy are there in that continuity yeah. you find let her continue to have a space off to the side where she's doing something new. Let her be like an explorer lantern, whatever, but let her have those moments where she does things differently than creating a big boxing glove that knocks down walls. Hey, detective lantern, smart lantern who does things with her brain instead of making big things to punch people with. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not really just, it's not just Joe. It's just these characters that have these special places that should just exist in those special places so that you get to get, experience the fullness of the character. Yeah. Huzzah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on. Bob. Okie dokie. Might as well start with. Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number two by Torin Gronbach, Michael Dowling, Jesus Arbutov, Joe Sabina, right? I mean, there's a movie out. The invasion of Asgard has begun, and if that's not trouble enough, under cover of the battle, the Enchantress has found her way to the dungeons of Asgard in order to free the traitor and the sisterhood, which sounds kind of ominous, you know, I'm just saying. Meanwhile... Jane's quest to find Thor has led her from Vanaheim to New Orleans and Dr. Voodoo and the Strange Academy realm of things, and then to the Sprinter realms for answers. Breathtakingly epic, yet never ponderous. I'm three issue, two issues in here. I'm loving what to do. I love Jane as a Valkyrie and just even more of that here. Lots of sass. Poison Ivy 2, G. Willow Wilson, Marcio Takara, Arif Prianto, and Hassan Astamante Alahu. Once again, a book where each member of the creative team brings their A-game to create something quite special. And to use an old-fashioned term, it's a grotesquerie. It's a work that's incongruously horrible and beautiful at the same time. Ivy's mission, which is to, well, depopulate the planet, that, that continues. 
And it's given some deeper context herein, but that never seems to excuse her for her actions. Uh, just as with reading the variants from Gail Simone last week, having new big two work from G. Willow Wilson, just, it's a delight. Uh, can't say more than that. Oh, boy. Saga number 60, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, or even end? We've come to another season finale by Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughan. 61 is coming, though, in January. Thankfully, not too far, considering what the last break was. We open on here with Special Agent Gale interviewing Marco's mother, Clara, moving through a, well, very moving conversation between Hazel and Squire about last issue's cliffhanger. It did seem like all you'd ever need or want of an issue of Saga until a heartbreaking (laughs) season ender that you're just going to get wrecked. It's Saga. That's what they do. On the subject of season finale, Star Trek Strange New Worlds ended its first season on a very high note with an episode that I know some of you are going to be in, so I'm not going to spoil anything, I hope. The season's through line has been Captain Christopher Pike trying to deal with his future, which has been shown to him back in Discovery. And that takes full form here in a very timey-wimey story that references one of the best original series episodes, Balance of Terror. It's my number three all time. Some nice throwbacks, throw forwards here that make this just a lot of fun, even with all the depth of it and all the horror. But it's that depth of characterization at play. It's simply amazing. So much so that there's one particular moment here that adds extra profundity to another original season episode that it brought tears to my eyes, i got to say. This is something I've said it before. If you're a Trekker or a Trekkie, Strange New Worlds is something you got to check out. I've watched all these Star Trek shows, and some a lot, some not as many as I should have, apparently. I checked out on some. My second favorite of all time. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm at this since 1966. It's my second favorite of all time. So there you go. You know, I've heard that from every single person that I know that has watched that show. It's amazing. It just is. There you go. (laughs) It must be because that sentiment seems to be universal, at least in my circles, which is impressive given the the vast, vast history of Star Trek yeah, and how yeah. much there is of it. Other than Enterprise, I've watched everything Star Trek. And just like Bob says, this is – it's beautiful. It's well done. It's well acted. <clears throat> this episode, once you saw it was Balance of Terror when they, they open up on that wedding, I was like, oh, yes. my God. This, I, I knew exactly <laughs> oh, where huh? I was. <laughs> and uh, – and I yeah. said, like I said the other night, I, I love the classic uniforms, the yellow, the the reds. But to see him in that Rathacon Star Trek II, the more military yeah, uniform, over. Yeah. That, I, I, I geek that a little bit. But, you know, this just this season finale is like you keep thinking, are they going to try and do something here? And they can't. You know, this there's a finite yeah. end to this. And I think that that's how they're going to deal with uh Pike going forward, I think he got some great storytelling here, and I, I think we could get we get seven years, seven seasons. Let's go! I, I, I'm there for it. He's in charge of the Enterprise for a long time until Kirk takes oh, yeah. over. Yeah, I did like to see Captain Kirk and uh, his brother. That was that uh, good old, good old Sam. Sam. <laughs> yeah, and we we do get Uhura here. Mm-hmm. 
and she's been a great part of this. We also get the the we get an engineer that we've heard before. Uh, I'm yeah. saying, and I like the Nurse Chapel Spock. That, oh, that, 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 that's that's been really lovely yeah. because we, that seemed out of nowhere in the original series. Yeah. And here it's, oh, we see why she's that way. I'm sure she'll disappear because she has to go off into, yeah. you know, chasing whatever. But no. great cast, great cast, brilliantly written across the board. It's beholden to the old series that we know, but not so much that it's locked in. Right. There are these things that we, we're going to have to get to. I don't want to spoil things for people who don't know the menagerie. Yeah. Plan. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll we'll do a Star Trek episode yeah. for that Patreon I talked about before. I just like how they've made <laughs> they've made the Gorn dangerous because the Gorn were kind of ridiculous in that that one episode. That's a big lizard guy <laughs> struggling to walk up a desert. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good, good stuff. Just like Saga. <laughs> just like Saga. Oh, Segway. speaking of good oh. stuff. Saga was great. Saga was as devastating as ever. I think last time I said, and I, I having looked through this again since the last time we talked, it really is amazing how much they've put mm-hmm. Hazel through. Oh yeah, uh, since since they aged her up and she's been a part, a big part of the story. Uh, how much they expect her to deal with, and then you have kind of, not kind of, you have this devastating moment at the end. <sighs> of this issue and all of that responsibility and all of that, like the maturity of the character and everything just drains away in a moment of just paralyzing memory and sadness. And it is just so devastating and so well rendered on the page. Fiona Staples has always been just a a monster, monster talent. But this new arc, Step these up. new pages, yeah, she leveled up in the years that this was gone. And, you know, it sounds like, unfortunately, it's going to be another little while before we see more of it. Not so much. Um, it's only six months. I'm I'm, I'm in. I can wait. I say take as long as you need. Yeah, because exactly. Because if it's, it's going to come back in this quality or better, I'm all for it. I would never, ever, ever want other creators oh, God, on no. these characters of the series, oh, even oh. like a fill-in issue just to give her more time. Don't do no, it. Just delay it. it. They've obviously yeah. found out that the fan base is there. They'll wait. They have no, they have no need oh, yeah. to ever bring in any, anybody else. Yeah, no. And, um, she just had her second kid. Yep. So, you know, got to take time, got to do that for a while and got to rest and recuperate and, come back and fighting for him when you're ready and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be. Awesome. Just look at these last three pages again. I'm crying. again. I can't stop. Steve. It's, stop. it's big. Me. It's real big. I mean, saga fans that are caught up, you know, yeah. uh, and if you're not, you better ask somebody. <laughs> all right. Um, I've not read poison Ivy number two, but I'm dying to read it. I need to get to that. Oh boy. Uh, Aaron, did you check out Jane Foster and mighty Thor number two? So I got to be honest with you. Jane, <gasps> when are you ever not honest with me? I know. That's just a thing. <laughs> um, 
I had to think about it as I was going through. So I was going through, <clears throat> excuse me, scroll, scrolling through the books that I've read, the books I haven't read, and I don't know, just doing like a little inventory. Um, this was actually yesterday, I believe. And I really believe that Jane Foster is now one of my favorite Marvel characters. <laughs> wow. Like, period. I had to think about it um, in comparison to like all of those other characters. Now, to that end, I also don't want her to be pulled into like all the Avengers and all that other crap. I, I would prefer her to have yeah. her own book. It's um, a Joe Mullen thing. Let let the people who know how to write Jane Foster write Jane Foster. Uh, Jason Aaron has her in Jane Avengers Foster. right now, but it's Jason Aaron. Uh, okay, uh, I guess that, yeah. that's fine. But um, yeah, there's just something really, really enjoyable about the strength of that character. Um. The character of Jane Foster, um, and I point out point that out because that strength is consistent whether she is a Valkyrie or a Thor. Yeah. So I think that puts her in a different space, and I think that is incredibly clear in this issue, where she essentially has the opportunities and the abilities to be both. Um, and you know what she's going through, and what that, what the the emotional toll that that takes on her, and what it means she has to do, and who she's looking for, and how she's going to get there, and what you know, all those things. So I just, you know, really, really love this 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 character. I just, it was one of those things that just popped into my head. I'm like, if I had to rank characters in the Marvel universe right now, she would definitely be at the top, one of the top characters there. And so and across love, two iterations, it's the it's the. Barbara Gordon thing, right? She can be Batgirl yeah. and Oracle and be great at both. Shane yeah. is great at both of these. I just really, I loved the, I, I think I especially like the inner monologue, the honesty associated with the inner monologue of mm -hmm. the character and what, what she's going through as she's realizing, okay, I have this hammer. Why, why do I have this hammer? Why, why doesn't the hammer's owner have this hammer? What does this mean? You know, was the emotional toll. I'm not willing to address this, but I, I have to move forward and be brave anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Just really loved it. Just really, really loved it. And, John, I know you, you have the history of Jane in your head as well as I do. She was such a sidebar character. Oh, yeah. In the old days. And Thor took her to Asgard to be judged by Odin, who tortured the living bejesus out of her. And then sent her away and erased her memory. Oh yeah, she was just Nurse Jane, and then yeah, then, she was Nurse Jane. Foster. I remember the, the you remember the what if issue where she picked up the the hammer. Ah uh, yes, ah. Thordis. Yes, Thor she Thordis. is Thordis. Yeah. But no, the reinvention of Jane Foster <laughs> is is been really well done, and it's I'm glad that's continuing. I haven't read this yet, but I will probably when it's all done. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well worth your time. Mm -hmm. Steve, you got to catch up on this one. You're going to love it. I know you love. I'm only one behind. Yeah. I I definitely read the first one and, and enjoyed it. I need more time. I need more time in my life to read and do the things that I like to do. I can't say that right now. I've been going to lots of live music. I'm my own worst enemy. No, you know, it's um, you'll you'll catch up. It's a thing. You know what it is? I read before I go to bed, and lately I've just been passing out or just bypassing comics entirely. And I just, <gasps> it's weird. I don't sleep well if I don't read a comic before I go to bed. Wow. It's, yeah, it's a little something about me. Now we know. 
What is your go to um, go to bed comic? What, what, what genre whatever comic whatever I need to read or reread before this <laughs> <Okay>. podcast. <laughs> Great. Um for a while it was it was Batman or Bust. For a really long time I was digging into a lot of different Batmans. And even though I am talking about Batman on this uh for this lightning round or part of it, um I haven't been reading as much Batman as usual um not for any particular reason i'm just trying to get to the other stuff that i've missed um it's not really a part of my lightning round but i did catch up with newburn uh last night i'm all all caught up on that oh Oh, it's fantastic i will say my broken brain couldn't really handle the resolution of the i guess the first arc of the the story of the the person yep. who did the thing yep. all those years ago and then it caught mm-hmm. up to them and whatever. Oof. Like <laughs> the timeline of that, I didn't put everything together, yeah. even though they were literally spoon feeding it to you. Um, but I didn't really realize who we were talking about and how that stuff crossed mm-hmm. over until part of the way yeah. through. And by the time that I'd figured it out, my brain was still kind of putting all the, the prior pieces together, but I was still reading and so the way that it resolved what kind of was like, oh, all right, I guess that's how that's going to work, even though I don't know. Yeah. It just, you know, when there's like there's mm-hmm. a loose end and I mean, I guess that was taken care of, too. I, I, I don't know. But I will say, just one more thing. There's a loose. No, end. I, I just love the end of it. The, this is like the number eight kind of ended the arc, but just how that character Newburn kind of the last thing you see yes. him. I was like, Oh, that's so good. I can't wait till this comes back. But yeah. Yeah. They, I, that was actually going to be the next thing that I was going to say. Like, I'm not going to get into spoiler specifics, but the Newburn character kind of undergoes a bit of a transformation throughout mm-hmm. the story. Um, but it's also one of those things where this is the person that he's been all yeah, along. Yeah, we're just seeing it. We're just know? really seeing it. Yeah, but that that moment where he kind of like emerges from the shadows to kind of watch from a distance to make sure it all goes down and then just like sinks back into the darkness and disappears. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I would, man, he's, oh, there's, there's a really great moment with yeah. him that I won't spoil. But yeah, that... Um, that series, and I really am still enjoying that Texas Blood. Like, there's just some really good crime comic stuff going on still, uh, left over from last year that have carried into this year. Um, and I've realized, like, I think between detective stuff, like uh, crime and whodunits, that I have a, a genre that I've barely tapped into that I really do enjoy whenever I come across it. So I think I need to do a little bit more uh, digging into that genre. I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Uh, there's a new, some new movie coming out aside from the new knives out called like, see how they run with, uh, Sam. Um, Oh God, the guy from Iron Man. What the hell? Um, yes. yes. Sam Rockwell. I'm in, um, I'm in. And, uh, Saoirse Ronan is the other. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're detectives trying to solve a Hollywood murder. Um, Bob, look, look up the trailer. It's called see how they run. It's really, it looks really, really cool. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I love the style of it. I love those types of stories. And, uh, I guess I did end up talking about Newburn for my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> uh, uh, what else do I got here? Let me see. Um, I'll continue with comics. I'll leave the book for last. Um, Eight Billion Genies, number two, written by Charles Soule, art by Ryan Brown, letters by Chris Crank, and color assist by Kevin Nipstein. What is there to say about Eight Billion Genies number two? It took a little while for this to come out, but it is finally here. And I also have Eight Billion Genies number three in my possession. They did make good on their promise to release it the next week. I didn't believe them, but here we are, wish granted. Uh, Eight Billion Genies is basically what happened in the first one is everybody in the world, whether you're an infant, a toddler, uh, older, doesn't matter, you got a genie and you can only have one wish granted, not three, one. Uh, and wouldn't you know it within the first couple of minutes of this phenomenon happening, a whole bunch of people made a bunch of like hasty wishes. Uh, some wished for life altering things. Like instead of the world being a globe, it is now a giant ice cream cone with a cherry <laughs> on top. Just <laughs> Very interesting. Um, I wonder who wished for that one. And then, so all of this chaos is going on, but there's a bar where the owner of the bar, very strategically, preemptively, whatever, the second that he had an opportunity to wish, he said, I don't want any of the wishes going on in the world to affect anyone or anything happening here inside this bar. So it is a safe haven. And this is a story about the people inside of the safe haven how they use their wishes, whether or not they've already wasted them. What does that do to you mentally, emotionally, uh, if you found out about the genies and you made a foolish wish and you were just like, this is what I want. And then it turned out to not be the thing that you want, like immediately. What do you do with that information? How do you survive a world now? where at one point you had a get get out of jail free card and you don't have it anymore. Uh, also, if your people that are learning the rules of the wishes, which is a, what a lot of this second issue is about is how it all works. Uh, not necessarily why it's happening, but like, what are the limitations of the wishing? How do you have to word things in order for them to come true without there being, tricks to them uh so on and so forth and it really asks a lot of bigger questions this this series so far is constantly asking you to think about what you value and how would you help the world if you had an opportunity if you had like limitless possibility within one phrase to wish for one thing what would you do what would you use it for when faced with the consequences of other people's wishes to undo the world would you be selfless enough to make that wish and undo the thing that screwed everything up in the first place? You find out very quickly that people are not willing to do that because some people are very selfish. And if you only have a couple of people in this bar that you're dealing with as your characters, you might not run into one of those people. So the world is kind of screwed. Um, I absolutely love this book. It is one of my favorite things of the year so far. Uh, I loved both of the first issues. I can't wait to dig into the third and I highly recommend it for anybody that hasn't checked it out yet. It's from image. Uh, haven't read anything from Charles soul in what feels like forever. Um, it feels good. It feels like going home yeah. <laughs> to, to read a, love his a book, Charles yeah. soul joint. Yeah. 
Oh man, remember Strange Attractors? Yes. That was so oh man, that was so good. That was such a good book. She Hulk. Oh. Yup. Yup. Troll Souls all I was right. I'm trying to remember what I'm trying to remember any other Shell Souls. He did Daredevil. He did She Hulk. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did Swamp Thing for uh, DC that was really well done. Yeah. In the new fifty-two, he had a couple of years where he was on every. He was the he was the Kelly Thompson of he the comic book like world nine for a while. Where he was just time. on and practicing law. He's yeah. a practicing lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> he's still doing some Star Wars as well. Right? Yeah, I think he did, in the yeah. midst of all. Yeah, did he do? Did he do Mario Forty Four? Is that him? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He did, yes. Which we all loved. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, Charles Soule. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, the Closet, number two. This is written by James Tynan IV with art by Gavin Fullerton, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by Tom Napolitano. We're talking about Tom. Tom is Jamie, little boy's father. And uh, Tom's not, uh, he's not such a good person. He's not such a good dad. And he's not doing a real good job of keeping his only son safe from the thing that is coming out of closets where they are sleeping. So they're on a cross-country road trip to their new home because Tom thought that it would be a good time. But Tom isn't a very good listener. He is extraordinarily preoccupied and self-centered and a terrible person. <laughs> and his this wherever they go, and it doesn't even matter if the room has a closet or not, one will appear And this like chattering monster thing is steadily coming after this kid. And dad is not listening because he's, he's too busy trying to figure out his own problems. And so they're on this road trip and they stop off at a friend's house, uncle Mac and uncle Mac decides to sit Tom down and says, we're going to have to come to Jesus moment. And we're going to talk about everything that you're screwing up right now. Uh, There's even a moment when all three of them meet up and Tom asks his son, Jamie, if he remembers Mac and you have to think about how young Jamie is and why on earth would he ever remember this guy? Uh, It's just, it's a weird moment that popped out to me that speaks to just how out of touch Tom is uh, with raising a child and, and paying attention to his son. And I, what I, I really don't like Tom. (laughs) Yeah. Tom is just, Oh man, you want to punch, you want to punch him in the face. (laughs) Um, So, Max sits Tom down and he has a very, very harsh talk with him, uh, just lays it all out on the table. Tom doesn't call him, doesn't update him. So if he's going to do this, he's going to do it all now. And you're just going to have to sit there over a few beers and a bonfire and you're going to have to take it. Uh, but then Tom does this thing where he gets defensive and he t- he tries to justify everything. He tries to justify the car trip. He tries, oh, we're making memories. But deep down as the reader – you know that he's just trying to avoid Maggie, his wife. They're having, you know, marital problems and stuff like that. He doesn't want to face anything. He misses the good old days. He wants his own man cave. He, you know, doesn't want to be uh, involved, maybe not involved in the relationship. I don't know. Uh, he's not very interested in being a father. He's a wreck. Anyway, um, the problem is that he's not paying attention to his son and his son is about to be dragged off by a monster and put inside of a closet. And what do you do when you've screwed everything else up and then you walk back into the house and your son is missing. So uh, James Tynan 
I don't, sir. I don't know who hurt you <laughs> for the books that you write. But if we ever meet again, I have a hug for you. It is, it is strong and it is sincere. I really, really, really love this book. James Sinan has been on fire for me since last year. Always enjoyed him as a creator, but the creator owned stuff that, he's been producing for the last little while has just hit for me really, really hard. And I've really been enjoying it. And this story is no exception. It's super creepy. It's from the artist that did bog bodies that we talked yeah. about during the awards last year. It is absolutely terrifying. It knows how, how to do a lot with darkness uh, and just abject terror in, in adults and in children. And uh Yeah. Like I said, James Tynan, need a <laughs> hug. I got you. Got you. Um, next on my list, we'll talk about Batman, Batman. number 125, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Timo Moray, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Someone is killing Gotham's elite. Oh, no. Uh, anybody that's inherited over $5 million, you're going to die uh ever since bruce lost his money he's been batman more and more and more and members of the bat family are beginning to get concerned even more so than they already were tim comes to batman and is like yo you gotta slow down you gotta chill out this is like this is this is too much batman even for (laughs) batman we're really worried about you i'm very very excited for Tim to be Batman's Robin for this Zadarsky run. Uh, I was talking with Chris off air, our good friend and frequent podcast guest. Um, that I don't really have that much of a, a history with with really any of the of the Robins outside of Damien, and so knowing that Tim is going to be hanging around for this run, uh, I'm very very excited to see that dynamic firsthand, especially written from the perspective of a creator that I really do enjoy and thinks has a really great handle on these characters. Because let me tell you, this was a knockout first issue, like a debut of Zdarsky coming on to the main Batman book. This fired on all cylinders for me. I am going to spoil a couple of things about this that I'm very excited about. So if you're not interested in knowing some spoilers about Batman 125, you might want to tune out for the next few minutes. Um, So this is your warning. Three, two, (laughs) one. All right, look, this book has Bat Package. It has Zorro (laughs) Batman, totally channeling like, like white puffy shirt, black pants, ripping ripping the shirt off the ripping the the disguise off and everything and swooping in it is just amazing one of my favorite characters ever in all of gotham city is back clayface (laughs) clayface ladies and gentlemen chip zadarsky brought back clayface thank you sir um There's a really sweet moment. Uh, I want to make sure I mention this. Uh, another thing that I was talking to uh, Chris and to John about is I 
Bruce wakes up from a nightmare at the start of this comic. And I really, really love that he turns to Selena. He calls her on the phone to basically calm himself down and talk everything out. And they have this really amazing uh, conversation, scantily clad while doing so and very hot, but also very respectful and very intimate and lovely. And it's really nice to see that after everything that they've been through for the last little while in the bat books, that they are still friends, that they still genuinely care about each other. They worry about one another. They check in, they can still have these meaningful talks and there's someone in the room with Catwoman, and Bruce is like, not a thing, not a thing. Like we, you, we're we're off doing our own thing right now, uh, and there's no there's no jealousy in his words or anything like that. The story doesn't go there, and all there is in in those two pages is genuine concern and sincerity. And I, I really, really like that that's the way that Zdarsky has chosen to go with that relationship. I think that was a, a really mature way to present those characters and how they're getting along with each other uh, at this stage of their relationship. And I thought that was very cool. Um, I think that might be all I have to say about Batman. Uh, I'll talk really quick, super quick, about uh, Glory O'Brien's History of the Future. So I read a novel while I was away in Ottawa uh, the last week or so. And uh, this one is a doozy. Actually, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to mark the time. I'm not going to talk about this. Aww. Do you want me to? I love this book. All right. All right. All right. Here, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start again. <laughs> last but not least. I want to talk about. I read a book. I read a book that doesn't have any pictures no, in it. Really? I read a novel. I'm yep, that's right. Shocking. That's right. What well, the the groundhog has come out and seen his <laughs> shadow. Once in a blue moon, I pick up a book with no pictures in it. I while I read, watched, I read Glory O'Brien's History of the Future <laughs> by A. S. King. Remember the title of this book because you're going to want to read it by the time that I'm done. Yeah. Graduating from high school is a time of limitless possibilities, but not for Glory, who has had no plan for what's next. Her mother committed suicide when Glory was only four years old, and she has never stopped wondering if she will eventually go the same way. Until a a transformative night when she begins to experience an astonishing new power to see a person's infinite past and future. From ancient ancestors to many generations forward, Glory is bombarded with visions, and what she sees ahead of her is terrifying. Does this sound familiar? A tyrannical new leader raises an army. Women's rights disappear. A violent second civil war breaks out. And young girls vanish daily, sold off or interned in camps. Glory makes it her mission to record everything she sees, hoping uh, hoping her notes will somehow make a difference. She may not see a future for herself, but she'll do anything to make sure that this one doesn't come to pass. This book was published in 2014, and it is one prophetic (laughs) piece of literature. My goodness. It is is just mind-boggling to think that somebody wrote this as fiction – and sadly, tragically, how much of some of the stuff in this book has happened and 
we're kind of headed in the direction of some of the themes of this book. Uh, Bob, you had mentioned that it's akin to A Handmaid's Tale. I, yeah, I think if you cross Handmaid's Tale with Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, the splinters of time idea, you've got the political, the personal, the variant futures and looks at what goes on. Love this book. We we had we had an interview with Kelly Sue DeConnick, who was talking to Sarah and Jess and Bronwyn, and it turned into a Lays of Valhalla episode. This is the first A.S. King I, I read. Fell in love with her work from this. It is emotional, striking, funny, hard, brilliant. All it it is everything you'd want a book to be. Steve, you don't. I don't read many novels either, but when mm-hmm. this premise was presented to me, I had to read it, and it hit me hard. Just an absolutely yeah. great piece of work. It's surreal, but relatable yes. at the same time, and that's hard to do. That is really hard to do. Yes, I should mention that this this is surrealist fiction, so you kind of have to put some of the pieces together for yourself or just – Accept the language and accept roll the ride and the roll rhythm. With it. Yeah. Yeah, and roll with it because all will be explained by the end. Uh AS King has a wonderful way of eventually wrapping everything up or tying everything together, which is really awesome. Uh it's a super effective and strange book. Uh the way that the girls get there's two girls, there's Glory, and then there's her best friend Ellie, Ellie and how they get the powers is they find a dead, like uh, <laughs> petrified bat in a barn yes. and they joke around saying that it could be God. So they put it in a jar and then eventually the bat is found a few weeks later by an angry mom, at least an angry mother. And she shakes the jar and the bat basically disintegrates and turns into a powder. Later that night, Ellie then gets the brilliant idea to pour warm beer into the jar, shake it up. And then they both drink it. They wake up the next day with these like prophetic yeah. vision based, almost superpowers. But there is a very, very big difference between the type of power that each one of them inherits. Glory's powers are seeing into the future and seeing the makings of this civil war that's coming and seeing the the downfall of society and the taking away of rights and, and all of these terrible things and all these things from the past and everything like that. But meanwhile, Ellie sees like very boring, very Mm -hmm. mundane things. And it speaks a lot to who she is as a person and has how she treats glory and their friendship. And there is a major divide. And I will say, at least I did. I spent a very, very, very good portion of this book being so frustrated by that friendship and Ellie in particular, but it really kind of got to me and made me stop and think about maybe some situations that I have going on as I, mm-hmm. as I get older and friends that kind of drift away. Um, so be prepared for that too, because in addition to reading all of the, like the visions and where we might be going as a society, as disturbing as that stuff is, there are other aspects of the book that will, send you into a spiral of thought, or at least they did for me. Me too. No, um, I'm with you, Steve. Exactly right. It is yeah. the the best works of fiction, whether it's science fiction, straight fiction, 
should make you think about things. Your world, what's coming, your relationships. And this has all of that together in this very surreal book that, yeah, at a certain level, it's about the future and it's a Terminator thing. Maybe it's whatever. No, let, let it roll over you and read a chapter, sit back, have a drink, relax. <laughs> and it's like, holy crap, that's what this is about, huh? Yeah, that's what this one's about. Oh, what a great book. Just what a great book. Drink, drink, drink the bad. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, if you want to, so that's Glory O'Brien's History of the Future by A.S. King. I also recommend Dig by A.S. King. Yes. Fantastic. Very, very good. All right. Um, I think that is it for me. She's a damn. Uh, I talked for a long time. I don't know that anybody has any questions for me. I think we can maybe move on. <laughs> uh, unless something stands out. John, do you want to talk about no, Batman for a second? It. It's, it's awesome. Just go pick it up. All right. You heard it here, folks. Go I'm buy gonna, I'm going to get a little blurb on the back. Go pick it up. Yeah, don't don't miss your opportunity to purchase the hottest new book on the stands, Batman. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to the news. Uh, not a whole lot. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Not a whole lot going on this past little while, or is everything going on? Because so very earlier today, a story revolving around Oni press has hit the, uh, the net and um, it is pretty ugly out there. It is a developing story, but um, so I don't know how much we're going to cover it on this episode. We might do a follow-up next week after kind of the dust settles, but um, people basically, there were a lot of firings, there are people that are leaving in solidarity solidarity as a result of those firings. Uh, and this is right on the back of just two weeks ago, uh, publisher Lucas James Jones and executive VP of creative and business development. Charlie Chu has been let go from Oni press and there are other people that have left now. Uh, Popverse has confirmed that the senior VP of sales and marketing, Alex Segura sales manager, Henry uh, Barajas and, Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, I'm reading this very fast. Senior editor Amanda Meadows and editor Jasmine Amiri are no longer with the company wow. as of this week, with others rumored to also have been impacted by the latest round of layoffs. One confirmed version of the rumor suggests that only a skeleton staff will remain at the publisher ahead of a potential sale by current owner Polarity LTD. Uh. So... Um, a lot of news outlets are reaching out to the people that have either been fired or have chosen to leave. And I would imagine that we're going to be hearing more and more about this, but it sounds like a very devastating series of events happening over at Oni. And I, like I said, I think we'll probably touch on it more next week, but just from me, you know, my, my heart goes out to the creator's. Uh, I do understand that there are some some major concerns about holding the rights to to characters and books and stories that are not being protected over some weird contractual stuff. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. But so far in the in the few hours that this has been going on, 
it's been really, really, really ugly and very sad and very kind of hostile um, in terms of how people are talking about it. People are very upset and um, we'll just have to wait and see how this develops. Um, anybody else want to jump in? Yeah, we, we need every small publisher. We need everybody to keep the diversity in the industry behind the page and on the page. And it, it's companies like Oni and Boom and the rest that, that are doing this job for us. And that it's no surprise. It is a business and it's all about money, but it comes down to let's cut down the expenses before a sale as opposed to your creative thrust of a company. That's crap. That's just huh. crap. I'm sorry. So I'm looking at a quote here. It says, uh, concern over the long-term health of Oni is rife on social media. Literary agent and former Oni editor Desiree Wilson tweeted, I have it on pretty good authority that Oni is dropping all their creator-owned stuff <laughs> next and keeping IP only. I'm serious. Creators, protect yourselves, and if you need help figuring out how to get uh, outstanding payments, ensuring you get your rights back, etc. My inbox is open. Uh, and Jay uh, Fairber said, uh, so sorry for all the folks let go from Oni Press today. What a disaster. I've got a graphic novel with them slated for October. Will it still come out? Question mark. Mm, wow. So yeah, it sounds it sounds like a lot's going on and, and a lot of people's projects may be in jeopardy uh, and they might be powerless to do anything about it. I certainly hope not, but you all know how fine print yeah. can be and, and how sometimes getting in with a publisher is so enticing that you'll be willing to sign things that you don't really, you know, think will ever <clears throat> be taken away or acted upon but here we are for for a lot of creators. It sounds like, um, yeah. Again, I'll I'll be following the story. I'll look into it. Uh, we're only we're recording on Monday, so it's only going to be maybe about three or four days in between this recording and the next. So if we don't get to it, then uh, maybe the the episode after that. I don't know, but we'll be watching it because seriously, there's a lot of great books uh, and people over at Oni, and it's a shame that this is happening at all. And following up on Action Lab a couple months back, doing yep. the same sorts of things, it's, it's it's constriction of rights and creativity and so many things that are antithetical to what we want this industry to be. So people, we're, we're behind all you creators. We'll, we'll, we'll keep at this story. No question. Yeah. Uh, super quick mention. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Ahead. Uh, super quick mention for anybody that's interested, because there are tons and tons and tons of great books published by Drawn and Quarterly. There is a Drawn and Quarterly sale <gasps> happening right now. It's happening until July 17th, and it is something like 40 to 60% off Yikes. of their entire line. So if uh, if you're a Drawn and Quarterly fan you have at least a few days uh, after this goes live to go and capitalize on that. And this includes their new stuff. 
So there's a book that came out like just this week that I was interested in reading that if I want a hard copy of it, I can get it for like 60% off, which is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's super cool. All you got to do is, is type um, drawn and quarterly sale into Google and it'll, it'll bring you right there. I think it's actually their main website if I'm not mistaken. Um, moving on, we'll circle around to the NYCC and fan expo stuff in a second. Uh, so this is just a small story. We're obviously going to wait until there are official photos or trailers or whatever, but um, promotional merch art for uh, Black Panther Wakanda forever has, I guess, leaked or was advertised somewhere or something. Uh, and some of it shows Riri Williams's Ironheart suit from, from Black Panther two. And um, it's interesting. It's interesting because I, I was saying when I first looked at it, it looks very Metroidish, very Samus Aran <laughs> suit. And then everybody around the table pointed out that this could be an origin thing. And so does somebody want to pick well, up and, on that? Yeah, that's, and, go ahead. Go ahead, John. No, I go. Just said, no, no, go, John. When Bendis created her in Iron Man number eight, she basically built her suit out of stuff in her garage. And that, that's, you know, it's kind of the old school Iron Man. So I'm, I'm thinking that's when like I saw it. in the cave, right. Yeah. yeah. So when I saw this, that's yeah. what I thought of. Right. I just, it does, it's super bulky. Like it doesn't feel practical or maneuverable so maybe maybe it's just a a starter thing or perhaps like she she builds it uh maybe while being in wakanda or maybe she She didn't with it i don't know but maybe somebody's like yo let me she didn't get the sleek iron man-esque suit for probably a year or two after creation yeah because she was like through all the secret empire and all that she had a big bulky almost mark one iron man suit Man, my my memory sucks. I read and loved that that run. Well, that's I that's when her first that. like the run is her first solo series. That's where she got the the suit you the the iconic suit that we know now. But she was in, was back in the Iron she Man. was in yeah. Iron Man, and then all those other like champions and stuff. Until oh, yeah, so that's yes. where this. I think this is where that's from. I I I said offline. I think you know she's going to build this suit and draw the attention of shuri or something so right um did you know that daniel kaluuya is not gonna be in the new black panther what? movie mm. yeah i just found that out like yesterday hmm. there was a story that broke that saying that he's not in it and i was like what no there was a i think confirmed rumor about one of the villains in this this is not on our our list did you john will know this name atuma oh Atuma was in the Fantastic Four. He's an undersea blue Atlantean who hates Prince Namor. This goes along with our shark theme from earlier. <laughs> I think it does. We we get some Atuma and his undersea hordes and Prince Namor and Wakanda all together in one picture. I think we got something going here. Mm. That's November, isn't it? November? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man... It's going to be here before you know it. There's a lot of things happening in November. New God of War game comes out in November now. I'm very excited. <laughs> that was just the last one. <gasps> really? Yeah. There was I call it I Boy got. of War. 
It was like I got to a certain point. And I'm like, I can't do this. Oh, I love that yeah. game. <laughs> I moved on. Boy. <laughs> All right. I was just like, this is the um, best game ever. I can't do this part. Next. Aaron, did you did you look at the pictures of the Riri Williams Ironheart suit? I did not. I'll be honest. I kind of want to. I just want to experience things when I see them now for some reason. I just, I don't want to be, I, I, I'm trying as best I can not to see a lot of the stuff that comes out. I was kind of that way when there was all this stuff going on about, you know, you know, all this, the pictures coming out about Obi-Wan and I was like, I don't want to see any of this, that stuff, all these other things. Even when, you know, after that one shot of Kamala, I was like, I don't want to see any more. I just kind of want to just experience things. So I'm fine. I still haven't watched Obi-Wan. It's good. I watched the first two episodes. You know what I did watch, though? What? Paper Girls. <gasps> no, you sneak. <laughs> I fit it in. Oh, <laughs> I fit it, no, I can't say anything else. Um, <laughs> but I've seen it. I've seen it. Not so humble brag. I have seen it. I think that we should move on to the next little bit here um, and then see about Joey. Uh, but, but, but. So con season is coming up and a lot of really amazing creators are getting announced for these shows. And I was wondering if anyone has any plans to frequent either New York City Comic Con, any other Comic Con, or Fan Expo Canada, which is what I go to these days. So, Bob, yes. not, not going to oh, Canada, nope. but say say hi to Stephanie for me if she's there. I'm sure she will be. Oh, I'm sure she'll yeah. be there. I'll bump yeah. into her. I, I usually yeah. see her every year. Uh, definitely doing the New York Comic Con, doing Saturday and Sunday this year because Sunday just was enough last year, and we're still sorting some other stuff out. Debating on whether staying over. Because it's the train here is very expensive, so the back and forth train twice as opposed to once takes I don't know fifty bucks off the room rate, and I can just hang out and not worry about it. So yeah, but where are you planning on staying? Stay at the Algonquin, and you are you're worried about expensive train rides. Well, just because the Algonquin's four hundred dollars a night. Wow! But if the bar if the bar is open. If the bar is open, that means we can have a meet and greet, and I don't have to try to take a train at midnight and get home at two in the morning and come back at six. I could just walk upstairs. Uh-oh. See, I can do what I want. Saucy so, Bob's coming mm, to Comic Con. Yes, I am this year. So the name of the the name of the GoFundMe will be Ryer Bob. <laughs> okay. <We'll> also, <laughs> we will set a goal. Yeah, it, it is. Look, the, the, we used to do, and look, four days was nuts coming back and forth on the train four times on the Long Island Railroad, an hour and a half each way, and so on. Though so my favorite story is when we were going to interview Chris Claremont, and he sort of shined us on for three days, and we found out we were interviewing him on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, at Saturday night at 10 o'clock, while I'm standing upstairs in the beer authority having beers and french fries and a sandwich. It's like, um, thankfully I wrote some questions, but I got to get home now so I can be back here in four hours. Oh, so that, that ride back and forth to the Island and yeah. then to the city for all those days is so brutal. Do you remember the one time we were on the train and we got to Ronkonkoma 
And the guy made the announcement, the conductor, I'd like to thank all you people. It was a great ride back and forth, but not to you guys who vomited in car number seven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay. It was the night of a Rangers-Islanders game or whatever it was. It was like, oh, good. We had the con folks and the, the sports ball people. Great. Oh, I remember. I remember getting up and moving a couple of cars down just to get away from their noise. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Much looking forward to New York Comic Con. Took took even the Monday off from work, so you don't have to worry about it. I can I can stay home and be hungover. Awesome. Uh Aaron, are you going this year? Yes, I am. When is that again? October? Eighth or something or other. Who knows? Oh, we'll be there. Yeah. Uh, wait, I was going to say, <laughs> Bob, if you stay in Elgonco and I will, but then I realized, no, wait, I'm going to be like three and a half or three or four days. No, I am not that. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, that adds up. You're on your own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But I have a four, I just want to, I got a four day pass because I just didn't know what I was going to ultimately do. And as I had completely forgotten that tickets are going on sale that day until Melissa messages me and she's like, do you got your tickets yet? And I'm like, what tickets? And then she basically called me an idiot and several other names. And I was online getting <laughs> wow. to go. And I was like, well, you know, and friends like just, these, I was just like, let me just get my ticket. So I just like got a four day. Um, and I was like, I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited about going. I, I It's interesting. We got all the emails. I don't know if you're paying attention. All the emails came out about the hotel blocks and all that stuff. Um, and I always look because I'm like, wow, what would be cool to stay at? I'm curious to know how this year is affected, is affected by, you know, rising numbers, but lower than what we had you know seen maybe last year, et cetera, et cetera. Because historically, those hotel blocks are like, I know they're supposed to be like a savings but I almost every single time find a hotel cheaper on my own when I go. So I'm like, I don't know if there's a value to these hotel blocks. But just that whole the whole process of looking got me really excited about being there. Yeah, we I think we only did we did I do Saturday and Sunday last year? I don't know. I just remember all three of us were hanging out. Me, you, and I think we just did the one day last. We did year. Sunday. I yeah, think we just did one day. Yeah, Sunday. Um, it was just great. It was great to be there. I I feel like the day that we went was more like a historic. Um, uh, Thursday, yeah, because it was post COVID and yeah, not quite yeah. getting together yet. Yeah, yeah, it was a crowd, but it wasn't like a an oppressive crowd. So, um, but in the end, we were all pretty excited about just being in the same space, and you know, just it was just a good time, just yeah. a good time. And also that, that lovely dinner we had. What was that rest? Was it Capone's? Nitty, no, it was Nitties. It was Nitties. Nitties, yeah. Nitties. I was say it was, and and Nitties. Carolyn came, and Danny Coleman from Unfinished mm-hmm. Corner joined us for dinner, and so did Hugh via Zoom. <laughs> Me being the nerd who always carries my iPad. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I had my iPad Pro with me, and I asked the lady, I'm like, can we get a stool right here at the end of we the We have table? to put our friend somewhere to sit. <laughs> yeah. like, we have a friend coming. So I slapped my iPad up there, FaceTimed him in, and bam, there we were. Uh, it nice. was awesome. It was fun. Uh, Sweet. What was that? Lauren came in? Yeah, that's right. Lauren was there, too. And Melissa. Yep. Yep. Had a great time. Man, I miss going to cons with you guys. It's fun, man. You got to do it. I will say we were very impressed with 
the things they put in place to protect. Absolutely. Like you had to have your, your band, mm. then you had to go here, you had to show this guy, then you had to right. double check, cr- triple check, cross check, all these things. I wonder. I wonder how much of that is going to be in place this year. I doubt. No idea. That, but I was just mm. impressed that they did it last year. You so. you had you yes. had to walk three blocks to get your vaccine card and bands or whatever checked. They they didn't want you doing it at the door and having someone just wander through. They kept you blocks away and had to walk back. They did a good job last year. Mm-hmm. I, like you say, who knows this year? And then it's what New York City puts in place. They're moving masks suggestions back into the realm of things even right yeah. now. Yeah, but nobody wants to do the masks anymore. They're they're over it. I'm not. Well, I go to the supermarket so. in a mask. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do too. I, double, I, 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 mask. I have one everywhere I go. More, we'll more say in the this year there. at AwesomeCon, I did notice that. I remember last year I reported at AwesomeCon that almost everyone had a mask on. Mm-hmm. This year, that was considerably not the case. Um, but I was double masked up, and I was just like, I don't care. Do it, live your best life. Yeah. I'm going to do what I'm doing. Hmm. But, yeah. John, do you do you con at all, or or is you think that the train like ride from the island, a is distant rough. dream? No, um, <laughs> no. I've I've been in San Diego like way back in the day, even before it got really big. Um, Chicago used to have a pretty big, um, con and then wizard bought them out and it kind of declined. Uh, but I haven't been to, uh, I haven't been to a big con in, 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 I haven't been to any con probably in a decade now. I just don't wow. have the time. I know. I just, there's not a lot around here and it's just not my How big scene. Yo. So. Why don't you come visit me in August? I well, I would love to, but that's when the summer of John dies, and I have to go back to work. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, when the loons, loons fly away. away. If it was like July, I'm I'm on my way to Canada. <laughs> Damn yeah. it! Go find me. Will be Burkle J. No, yeah, Burkle J. Uh, whatever, whatever you want to contribute. Come on, man! August August twenty fifth to the twenty eighth. We only have to go on the twenty seventh. First weekend of school. school. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the kids will I teach say themselves. That all the it's time, fine, but they won't. They, you know, I still have to have that paycheck every month. Well, Fan Expo Canada is where I will be on uh, that Saturday in August, and the list of creators. I'm not going to go yeah, over all of them like I did last I time. Hear. Yeah. I'll I'll give you a couple. I won't give you as as much as I did last time. I read too many last time. Up, oh, I clicked on the travel and hotels tab. <laughs> Whoops. Hold on. Whoa. Oh my god. It's calm Peter down. I will be there. <laughs> oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> because I Listen, still have it's the a good up. it's a good show. But you know who else is going to be there? It's Robert England. I'm going to yes, meet him this year. Freddy. I'm going to meet him this year. Oh my god, I'm totally doing it. Sure, oh, you totally should just ask him about V. How is it like making? Don't just like skip over Nightmare on Elm Street completely. Yeah, I ask about eating a lot. Yeah. Tobe Hooper. Yeah, just go for it. Be like so dead Robert, buried. Yeah, did you like being? Let's dead talk buried? about. Let's talk about the Mangler, shall we? Yeah, exactly. Literally, every Hobbit is going to be there. I all I want to do is meet him 
and thank him for for all the nightmares that he's given me and then wish him well and walk away. I don't need I don't need any kind of like meet and greet big long yeah. drawn out conversation. No, I just I got so close the last time. Like they weren't letting anybody else up there, but I was standing like mere feet from him. And I never freak out for celebrities. I meet them all the time through work, all the time. It doesn't do anything to me for whatever well, reason. Freddy Krueger, come I, on. Yeah. He was such like Nightmare on Elm Street was my first movie. Like oh. I I've known him for since I was three <laughs> years old. Like it, he is he's shown up in so many of my dreams over the last, you know, 41 years or whatever. I don't know. Do, do the math. 30 maybe, something. Maybe anyway. Uh, what? Tell him he's the man of my dreams. Yeah, I say, maybe. maybe <laughs> yeah. I dream about you every I'm night. I'm sure he's yeah. heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's heard that and a lot worse. Trust me. Um, so anyway, people that are going to be at this thing, uh, Greg Capullo, uh, Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, James Tynan, the fourth, I'll give you that hug yeah. if you want. Um, let me see here. Joshua Williamson is going to be there. Jason Fabok, uh, Humberto Ramos, Ooh. Marguerite Bennett, oh. Sweeney Boo, oh. uh, Tyler Boss, Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Let me see. Michael Cho, Katana Collins, uh, Stephanie Hans. Hello. hello. Uh, Werther Deladera, Wes Craig. The list goes on and on and on. It's really. They've had impressive years, but this is by far and away the most impressive year. And I'm not naming a ton of people. The, the like, I'm still scrolling. It's crazy. Um, I'm excited. I'm. I usually only go for the one day because that's about all I can handle, and that's all I need. So, like, I'm not a panel person. I'm not a special events person. I kind of go to meet creators and to say hello and to shop, and then after that, I'm like, I'm good to go. But um, yeah, this is happening. I guess the end of next month. Ooh, soon. I'm excited. Damn, I'm gonna have to put some money aside. <laughs> Crap. Uh, maybe I shouldn't buy those bus for tickets. Well, I just wanted to do it anyway. Yeah. Yes, that's right. All right. Um, I think that is gonna be it for news stuff. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll see where Joey's at, if we can get him in here. Uh, and uh, we'll continue on with the rest of the show. See you in a bit. All right, everybody, we are back. It is time to go to the movies for another Marvel MCU Phase 4 film. And this time, it is Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, in case you've been living under a rock for the last little while... Thor Love and Thunder is the fourth film in the Thor franchise, and it is directed by Taika Waititi, who also stars in the film as Korg. Uh, it is written by Taika Waititi with Jennifer Caton uh, Robinson and based on Marvel Comics by Stan Lee. That's what IMDb says. I'm sure more <laughs> yes. people have contributed. But yeah. Everyone but Why Stan. is everybody laughing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so Stan. Yeah. <laughs> what? Created by Stan Lee, really written by Jason Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Based off of the, well, part aspects of the story based on the Jason Aaron run. Uh, As you were saying last time, Joey, this play takes place after Endgame and it picks up with Thor basically looking inward and, and searching for who he is. Uh, and he's running around with Guardians of the Galaxy, 
decides to then go his own way as dust starts to kick up in new Asgard. And there is word that a new villain is in town. Who's going around killing the gods. And so Thor is like, Whoa, like I know a lot of those people. Some of them are my friends and uh, I need to help figure this out. In addition to this, you also have the ongoing story of Jane Foster. Natalie Portman returns to the MCU for her role uh, in which she plays uh, Jane Foster and sorry, Dr. Jane Foster, I should say, and the mighty Thor. There's some hammer shenanigans as Milnir has chosen Jane as the, the worthy one. And uh, Thor goes through a lot of, uh, let's say pains between his girlfriend, his, his lost love being back in the picture and his hammer uh, basically working for someone else. <laughs> and they they have to figure out how to make it work to save the day against Christian Bale's Gore, Gore the God Butcher. And uh, Tessa Thompson, who plays King Valkyrie, is also in the mix. And uh, there's a couple of, other, uh, couple of other characters that jump in here and there. And yeah, I mean... Did I miss anything? Is that pretty much that's the setup for the movie, right? I think that's yep. all we can say. Spoiler-free version of it, absolutely, Steve. Yes, um, I'll say this really quick. If you don't know how these work, we are just going to talk about some general impressions, and then we'll probably go into some spoiler territory. If you've not seen Thor: Love and Thunder, what are you doing? Go watch it. It's fun, and uh, come back and listen to the podcast with all the spoilers and everything else in between. Uh, let's see. Let's go around the room. Get my notes out here. Um, jo- Joey, I would like for you to go first. <laughs> right. Um, so you gave the setup already. Yeah. So as I said last week on the podcast with Aaron and Bob, I was hesitant going into the movie because Thor Ragnarok didn't really cut it for me um, as a big fan of particularly the first Thor movie and Chris Hemsworth and, and that whole world that Branagh and everybody built in that first film. I thought Taika, who I also love, and I want to make that very clear too. I also love Taika Waititi's filmmaking and his sensibilities and everything. I just thought that Thor Ragnarok reached for the joke too many times and um, kind of was a little bit too ironical and a little bit too gleeful with, with deconstructing all of that. Um, that was particularly like in the time of the infinity saga before going to watch this movie though, love and thunder. I watched Ragnarok again and I did enjoy it a little bit more removed from all of that and removed from that version of Thor, especially knowing where Thor goes in the infinity war and Endgame movies which I actually do like those two movies for him. Um, that monologue he gives on the, on in the spaceship to rocket when he's oh, like, all of my yeah. friends have died is like my favorite moment in, in infinity war. And it yeah. really elevates that movie for me. So with that in mind, going into this movie, I was hesitant and I very happy to say, and I know that if you read the reviews, not many people will say this, but I'm happy to say <laughs> that I, really was pleased with this film in a lot of ways so much so that by the last half of it really i was deeply deeply moved by it i I think that 
Taika Waititi. I have watched all of his films in recent years and the TV shows. And if you haven't watched Reservation Dogs, which he was a producer on, yeah, you have to watch that. It's so good. But Taika so Waititi's sensibility, like he he handles he handles joy the joys of life. He handles the the sorrows of life, but he's not scared to put them at once in the same scene. In Ragnarok, I think he was a little too funny. Funny here. I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised, bordering on gleefully surprised at how he was able to take a storyline that we love here on the show that is filled with such heart and emotion. Granted, not adapted directly because you can't. He's doing it in a single movie and a short movie at that only comes in under two hours, which is mind blowing. Um, Take a very emotional, trying tough storyline between Jane's arc for those that have read the comics you know what's going on there and Gore the God Butcher which is as you could tell from the name of a very intense story too um, still there's a lot of Taika in here obviously there's a lot of that sense of humor that sense of um, kind of post-structuralist deconstructionist humor and, and, and irony but I was very pleased to see a, a degree of sincerity in how he handled these storylines. And like I said, I think that I think that the film builds so nicely to one of the most moving endings in the MCU for me, at least. And I, I just, I think that, the movie lands in such a way that I don't like, like I said, I love that first movie so much. This movie for me calls back to and resolves and brings us full circle to that first film in such a wonderful way that I know everyone's already like, Oh, Thor five, six, seven, eight, give me more, give me more, give me more. But in my mind, I'm like, this has been the journey. This has been the Thor adventure. Here we are. I, I Like I said, I've moved by it so much. Last thing I'll say before passing the baton, I, I had tickets to see a 10 o'clock show with some friends, but we had some COVID stuff in that friend group. So I was unsure if we were going to see it at 10. So I booked myself at 3 o'clock. <laughs> so I saw it at 3 o'clock. And then the second it was over, I texted my friend group and I was like, hey, like, what's the story? Are we still on for tonight at 10? And enough of them were like, yeah, let's still go. That I went to go see again at 10. And <laughs> I'm so glad I did. I haven't double featured an MCU film like that since Captain Marvel, which I also adore. Um, and also mm-hmm. in the many ways too, had a very mixed reaction, myself included to the first viewing, but then on that second viewing and seeing what I was looking at, I, I'm so glad I saw it again and I'll probably see Thor love and thunder again too, because I just, I loved it. I loved it. Um, in a way that I haven't really loved a Thor movie since that first one. Yeah. I think I'm really looking forward to my second viewing. We're going to try and go this weekend. It might not be until Sunday, but I, and Bronwyn is starting to kind of turn a corner on her bronchitis and we're hoping for her to, uh, to be able to make it out to the movies. We'll see how, See how the the Friday concert shenanigans go. She might get wiped out. I don't know. But um, I'm looking like I'm looking forward to a second watch because I'll be honest, I haven't really, I haven't really made up my mind about the movie yet. I feel like another watch is necessary. Obviously, because we've already 
we already had this conversation and lost it the other day. And so having some of the stuff that was said back then, uh, rummaging in my head and then versus my own thoughts and everything, my first viewing of the movie, I found it to land a little strange for me. Um, there were some tonal shifts that I don't think that I was prepared for, and I don't know why I wasn't prepared for them, given the Taika Waititi-ness of it all. <laughs> um, I do think that the movie eventually got there for me. And like you were saying, Joey, like the emotional impact or like the payload that they carry throughout that movie and then deliver it toward the end. I think most aspects of that landed for me and I'm, I'm looking forward to reevaluating things when I go and I see it again. Um, I genuinely laughed a lot. Um, obviously comedy is subjective. Not all of the gags landed for me, but there were definitely a good amount of times where I laughed out loud in the movie, um, the Stormbreaker stuff in particular, <laughs> I found to be absolutely hysterical. Anytime that there was kind of jealousy or the the love triangle between Thor and Milnir and Stormbreaker, um, the old guard and the new guard, and just you, I've seen the memes. It, it's really, it was really, really good stuff. Some really good comedic timing for some of that. And um, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, that I had written down. Oh, I really enjoyed Christian Bale's mm-hmm. uh, gore. I, I have Fort the God Butcher in my notes for some reason. <laughs> gore the God Butcher, very twisted, very creepy. Definitely one of the standout villains for me of the Phase Four movies for sure. I think between him and the father from Shang Chi, were were both absolutely incredible. There was something going on with like you got Christian Bale to do something. He's going to commit himself. And I feel like he really, really, really got into this. And I know that I complained about the way that he looked uh, before the movie came out when they revealed his whole deal. And I was like, ah, he doesn't have the tendrils. He doesn't have the puffy face. Oh, man. Like, just go for it. Just do the alien thing. Come on. But he looked incredible and like i think bob had said you don't you don't get somebody like christian bale and then hide his features mm-hmm. and hide his face under a bunch of effects yeah. and stuff because you're gonna want to see that emotion and that passion uh that he's able to deliver in this character and i think he really really sells kind of the tragedy and the sadness of this character i think um joey you said last time how the opening scenes of this movie tell his story and set him up as the villain and that transformation in those moments where he's speaking with his God and his God is so dismissive and, and treating him like garbage and is willing to kill his last disciple. And he friggin like just turns on a dime. Once he encounters the necro sword, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Um, I was really, really, really happy with that Uh, real quick. Soundtrack for me was, I think I liked the score more than I liked the overall Guns N' Roses-ness of it all. They've never really been <laughs> my band. Um, again, I think that there was a method to the madness with all of the Guns N' Roses. I think I've read or heard that a lot of the music cues were like directly linked to story beats and stuff like that. And the lyrics so, tie into it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I wanna watch for that again the next time and and see if I can connect the dots 
Um, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I do love those songs, their anthems and stuff like that. I just was like, wow, there's like four Guns N' Roses songs in this. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess, I mean, it's it keeps in line with using, a, what was it, Immigrant Song? Twice. So many yeah. times in the, twice in one yeah. movie. But in this movie, it was also on t-shirts and in a gag about a character. It, yes, it was, sure. it was yes. very in there in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Axl Rose is um, very happy. I'm sure he check. is. I, um. <laughs> Some of his fans are not happy with him right now. Some people have been really complaining about his uh, his vocal performance for the last few shows that they've done. So he might have to uh, take a few days off and get it back and get the mojo. Um, I'll go through my last little points super quick. The Jane stuff um, overall, I I did enjoy a lot of it. It's another thing that I kind of want to soak in a bit more and kind of watch the progression of it. There is a small part of me that wishes that this was maybe a bigger movie or a bigger, bigger story that lasted a little bit longer. Um, I understand that for the purposes of making the movie that you're going to distill uh, a lot of that story and kind of hit some of the major beats. And that's probably going to be about all you can manage, but like, for a four to five year story that felt so epic and is definitely my favorite Thor story of all time. Um, I maybe would have liked to have seen a few more aspects of that accounted for, but again, you're making a two hour movie. I understand that some sacrifices have to be made. And I also suspect that a lot of my reservations will be wiped away with rewatches because that happens with me quite often i did not enjoy thor ragnarok when i first saw it and now it's one of my favorite thor movies um beyond that the movie was absolutely gorgeous battle scenes were incredible two of them in particular and in, in the film were just jaw-droppingly gorgeous and a lot of fun to watch and um yeah i think overall i i really did enjoy it i had a lot of fun with it i don't know that it learned every lesson from thor ragnarok uh particularly with how it treats one character in particular but we'll go over that in spoilers um but beyond that i think you should go and see it it's a good time i uh, john would you care to share uh i kind of i did i don't i did not hate this movie i i think that that was misconstrued i just i'm tired uh <clears throat> I'm tired of you sound it. I'm sorry. I'm kind of tired of the de evolution of Thor. If you watch the original Thor and then you watch, like, especially like Infinity War with that scene with Rocket that we all love, and then where he goes, he's he's almost become a dense bro Thor in my mind. And I don't, and I think it has a lot to do with the timing of the humor. I think that there's there's some good stuff here and, and I do like the, the progression. I understand the progression of where Thor is at the end. I just think that there's some, there's some really powerful beats here and then they crack a joke and it's like, it did it, that didn't really land for me. Um, I did love Christian Bale. The reason why I, I think that he doesn't have all the tendrils is because Marvel doesn't have the right to the symbiote because that stuck at Sony with the venom. Oh, oh really? Yeah, because the necro yeah. necro sword and all that is all built into the symbiotes and mm. Noel and all that. 
So, you know, whoa, John that, with the conspiracy theory, <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like the, I like the music timing. I, I like the beats. I liked, I did, I did laugh at some of the stuff I loved and I, and I wasn't really into the guardians being in it, but when he's saying goodbye and just, there's just some parts there that I just, I, it was, I was laughing. I couldn't help it. Um, I love the Valkyrie. Oh man. When she licks that knife after stabbing somebody. Oh, that was the best. Uh, I, the Jane stuff. And, and I know that I'm going to be the kind of against the grain here, but I, I liked it. And I, that's one of my favorite stories of all time. There's just, I don't know if the ending of this movie was earned and that, that, that is mm. kind of where, I sit on this and I'll talk more about it in spoilers. Um, but there, there's some good stuff here. It is beautiful. And, I, and we can talk more about some of the the shots and the the colors and the lack of colors. But I, I, it was, it was a fun movie to see. And I, and maybe if I watch it again, I, I will maybe have a different take. I liked Ragnarok and I, and I still enjoy Ragnarok. I just think that they did try to do too much of that Ragnarok jokiness in this movie at some parts where they probably shouldn't have done it. I think it would have landed better. But like like Steve said, if you haven't seen it, go see it. I think you'll enjoy it. It's just not the Thor movie that I probably wanted at this moment in time. And this is not the Thor that I want to see. I'd like to see the more, not serious Thor, because I don't, he's never taken himself serious, but I don't need the kind of bro Thor that they've been giving us the last few move or the last few outings for him. So you don't that's want, all I'll say right now. You don't want Dark World Game of Thrones Thor back? No, no. I want <laughs> I want the end of Ragnarok into Infinity War Thor, where he's kind of dealing with, you know, he's lost everybody. But he sits that throne. This is not a Thor that if I was a subject of Asgard, I would leave. I would like I would leave. This this is not the evolved king of Asgard that we were going for. It's kind of he's devolved, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to have Aaron go next so that we can finish strong with Bob. <laughs> Aaron, talk, talk to me. So I'm going to take the, a different route here because I had an epiphany in between our last attempted recording of this because right. there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer marathon on. <laughs> Yes, watch me do this. Everyone sit back. So as I was watching multiple episodes in a row, I realized that one episode was almost entirely comedic. And I loved it because it matched that episode's subject matter. The next episode was incredibly dramatic and I loved it, and I was moved because it matched that episode's subject matter. Um, and it went back and forth, some variations in between. Some were, you know, a little bit of one, a little, a little bit more of another. But it worked because it was applied 
appropriately to the subject matter and what you as a as a creator of this content was trying to elicit from the viewers in that moment. Did you want someone to feel the pain of loss in one moment? Yes. So you did certain things and you sort of set a certain tone. Did you want them to experience, you know, joy and friendship and camaraderie and sort of adventure? Yes. So you shaped another episode that way. So I thought about that when thinking about my viewing of Thor Ragnarok and Infinity War and Endgame and then now this and saying, I think that's what was preventing me from investing entirely and emotionally into this movie and therefore enjoying it more. Because I know what the Jane Foster storyline is and I wanted to feel that weight of it given the appropriate tone for those moments. And I just don't know if there was enough runway in the time frame of this movie to do that. I think I love Taika Waititi in, I, I love me some Taika Waititi-ness, as Joey said earlier, in a movie. I don't love it in Thor um, entirely. Um, mm -hmm. I loved it and I liked it a lot in Ragnarok. I think that was because I was supposed to like it a lot in Ragnarok because it was supposed to take you from this. It was supposed to be an arc of taking this character from almost feeling like, you know, as he was always saying with Hulk, I'm the strongest Avenger. I, I got this covered. I, and then been to being taken down a peg. So, you know, there was this jubilance and joy and, sort of, I got this all covered, I'm a god, blah, 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 to being taken down a peg. And it sort of rode that arc from the humor down to the loss and the sacrifice. And I felt that loss and sacrifice in the end, I think because it took an appropriate turn for me. I don't know if I got that. I, I felt like I was prevented from investing emotionally completely in that, in, in this instance. And I think that's why I sort of lean in a little bit to, to what John was saying about, I don't know if it was earned. I do wonder, you know, I always wonder why more movies, when they have subject matters like this and they're trying to put more into a movie, well, I guess I do know, um, why don't they take the sort of um, Lord of the Rings approach of just filming a couple of movies back to back, you know, so that you have the runway, you get a good story in both of them, and you've really told the story well. I know it's money, it's finances, it's availability of actors, but I, I feel as though maybe that would have allowed me a little bit of breathing room to hear the joke, get the joke, laugh at the joke, and then reset when the tone shifts because something extremely dramatic and, and something extremely powerful is happening on an emotional level. I don't feel like there was enough bandwidth to do that. And there was enough time in between those moments. So I just felt like I could never settle. I could never settle into the movie. And then I also do lean into what John was saying about, I don't know if I like, I like Jokey Thor when the, when the mood is appropriate for Jokey Thor. I don't like Jokey Thor when there are things happening that require him to be a little bit more focused. And I felt like that's we got a lot of that here, and it made it did give me sort of that. All right, this isn't just him being relaxed and being assured, but 
this is almost like the the sentiments of like the old Naked Gun movies or something where there was just this sort of ironic event <laughs> around where you know everything around them is blowing up and, and you know dumpsters are burning as they're rolling down the street and these things and you know they're just sitting there having a random conversation. So I, I kind of felt it was just difficult to orient myself um, and sort of experience the emotion that I really, really just wanted to experience with those high points. Um, so it sort of took me out of it a little bit. I don't necessarily want to see bro Thor. I do feel like he's devolved. He's taken a directional shift that isn't consistent with where I felt like he was going in those previous movies. Um, I'm hoping, I was hoping that we would get, as I was watching the movie and I was sort of at some certain points becoming a little exasperated with the placement of the humor, I was banking on there being a Ragnarok-like moment where we would get that tonal shift and he would realize what he needed to do and what was happening, the gravity of the situation, and then we would get that. But even then, I don't, I don't think we got that until literally – maybe the final moments. And, you know, to me, that was too little, too late. Um, now, with all that said, would I tell anyone not to see this movie? No, absolutely not. I, I think there are opportunities for everyone who sees this movie to really enjoy it. I'm specifically just talking about my enjoyment of this characterization, and that's all. I'm not telling anyone that it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's the the character I wanted to see in this movie. So that's all. All right. That is fair. Speaking of fair, Bob. Oh, you, you're asking the wrong guy then. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, have, I have to preface all this with saying I, while I like Taika, I did not like Ragnarok at all. <gasps> I, I had a real problem with the tonal shifts in that, in that I thought the, it's my friend from work stuff was hysterical and a lot of fun. The hella stuff has Kate Blanchett. So wonderful, marvelous, dark, edgy. And it kept trying to get smushed together in a way that didn't make any sense for me emotionally, where it was, joke followed by death and then some more jokes and some more death and let's kill the warriors three and sorry, spoiling Ragnarok. So I, I came to this in a place where Ragnarok was one of the few Marvel movies I didn't own for just that reason. So I came to this hoping because I love that Jane Foster story so much as everyone has said here, it's one of the favorite things I've ever read. And that's across 60 years of reading comic books. I love this movie. Hmm. I thought most of my concerns about tone were assuaged here in that the balance of it might not be any different than Ragnarok. But for me, it seemed as if the jokey, humory stuff was, was really relegated to the first act and a half. And we get to a certain point here where wow, the emotional moments for me paid off. We get to a certain point where we're on the boat with the screaming goats who are hysterical, I guess. I have friends who are trying to buy recordable sound chips they can put in stuffed goats so they can have stuffed goats of their own. I'm just going to say that. But 
there's a moment on 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 their way to the the big battle where things really deepen and from then on it's a it's a very different movie there are beats of humor afterwards but in the same way there have been every other marvel movie for me anyway i thought our leads were really great uh, as we talked about with gore we get something a little different here with a Marvel villain. And I, I really enjoyed that. The, the, the things that paid off for me, I didn't even see coming, particularly with him. The action scenes were really great. I, without going beat for beat of the Jason Aaron run, which across Mighty Thor takes up two and a half years, right? I thought it honored the idea of the run with Aaron and Dowderman. And for Jane, uh, I don't want to spoil too much. And, and again, I will have to say that some of those tiky touches in the in the first bits and pieces of it, it's a bit much. But it's okay. We move past it in a way that that made me happy. And it's the distribution of the jokes and so on and so forth. As you mentioned, Steve, the whole love triangle between Thor and his two various hammers, that, that, that plays off pretty well. I, I Look, it's your ex-girlfriend with your ex-hammer. It's, it's, a, it's, it's classic. There needs to be more Val. I think she's great. Tessa Thompson's wonderful. My understanding is there is so much on the cutting room floor. You could make I, a Jane yeah. Val movie. And I, I'd love to see that. Their chemistry in the movie was great. I did forget to mention in my my non-spoilers, mm-hmm. I do think that Valkyrie was underused. Yeah. And that she was there. She was doing stuff. She was hanging out. But, like, I don't know how much story she had in this. No, she gets to be the king. But even there's some stuff in the trail that was wonderful that, that we don't even see in the movie. Right? She's sitting there in the suit. That's not, yeah. that's not, not in the movie. She's trying to be the king. We're, we're, before we get into spoiled territory, I'm just, just going to finish with this. A very generic thought, I suppose. I think it's pretty amazing over the last five years or so, we've had a Wonder Woman movie, a Captain Marvel movie, Black Widow, Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel on television, and now a Jane Foster story arc movie. Things are changing. Maybe not fast enough and maybe not as wonderful as we think the books are to these movies. But you know what? Back when we thought of superhero movies as Supergirl, Elektra, and Catwoman, let's compare those to this and count our blessings. That's a fine point. Mm -hmm. That is a fine point. I like that. All right. Are we uh, spoiler town? Spoilers. All right. So um, obviously spoilers. Oh my God. It sounds like John three, <laughs> two, one. Okay. I want to talk about Sif for a second. <laughs> We're going uh, right uh, That's about all she's in the movie, but okay, go ahead. I, when I, when I said something earlier about Taika, not learning all of the lessons from Ragnarok, Taika strikes me as someone, and I respect, I respect him. I would respect any person for this who makes the movie they want to make. And if you can't deal with the decisions that have been made too bad, um, the decision to kill off the warriors three and Thor Ragnarok was very, very ill received 
by fans, including me. And me. Um, and us all here, I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 And then in this one, Sif comes back only to then be not killed off, but injured enough that it takes her out of the story and she disappears and doesn't show up again until like the tail end of the movie. And I just was, it was one of those things where I actually felt for Jamie Alexander (laughs) who wants to play this role so badly has openly said that they're up for a Sif solo series, which I would absolutely do a journey into mystery with with Jamie Alexander. Holy shit. I would watch that. But like, yeah, I felt I felt like they brought her back. They did her dirty and then they just moved on with it. And it was like, oh, you know, wait, oh, we forgot this one. Let's let's screw this Slap character her over, too. Let's the, chop her arm off. And then yeah. and then, but even yeah. then it's like that was one of them. Like when we were talking about the problem, it's like, hey, here's Sif. Oh, she's injured. Oh, she wants to go to Valhalla. And then joke. It's like, how cool would it have been? I'm sorry, John. No, no, I'm just saying it just that was one of those points where I just felt that it wasn't you're too jokey in a situation where it shouldn't be jokey. Yeah, I'm just saying, why not bring her back for, you know, a proportion of the movie mm-hmm. where she's I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd have to rewrite a bunch of stuff to do this, but like well, have her go into battle with them for a little bit. I thought that she was going to be in the next bed over in that hospital room. Yeah, I did too. I mean, there's two things. Mm-hmm. One is to your point, Steve in Korg's opening story time, the warriors three are just called like he lost that guy and that guy, okay. and whoever that guy yeah. is. So to your point, I think that Taika came in and he was like for Ragnarok and he was like, yeah, I'll make this crazy movie, but I'm going to work with these characters that I want to work with. Valkyrie, Thor, Korg, you know, and those are the characters that obviously get a lot of runtime in this movie too. But the fact that they, like, that wound is still fresh for me, the loss of the Warriors 3, and then in that yes. opening montage for them to not even be called Hogan, Fandral, and Falls, I mean, just be like, <laughs> that guy, and that guy, and that guy. And I'm like, okay. And then the Sif thing happens. Now, the second thing is perhaps... And I can't, obviously, we don't know what's on the cutting room floor, but maybe we did see Gore butcher that god and Sif was in that fight. Who knows? Mm. But I I think that that's all stuff that's not in the movie. And it's like, yeah, I think Sif, I too love Sif. And this goes back to the Straczynski run on Thor 2, which is like that character plays a very interesting role in that comic book too. I don't think the movies or the TV show have ever really figured that her out except for Thor, the dark, dark world yes. in which the potential of an actual romantic triangle between the three of them is actually raised yeah. and then not executed either. So I don't, I just don't think they've ever figured out that character. The fact that Jamie Alexander's willing to come back to do it at all, I think speaks to, like you said, like her desire to play the part. So who knows maybe yeah. down the line and Hey, look, if Don Cheadle can get a TV show, as War Machine, <laughs> maybe we can get a, Sif show. get a Sif show. <laughs> well, he, right now in the book, Sif is Heimdall. She's Sif yeah. the all-seeing. So that could be a whole other thing. How does she get to that point? Well, she Love was training him at oh. the end of the movie. Well, she's Heimdall's sister, so yeah. that's where she gets the powers. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's a great moment with her and Axel toward the end, isn't there? She's, she's training, training him. She's training him. him. 
So maybe yeah, she but... trains him to be the next uh, sword guy. Yeah, but didn't he like he he ripped open the Rainbow Bridge at some point, like in in, in joint? That was with um, Stormbreaker because yeah, Stormbreaker right. can open the thing, so yeah. he could. So any really anybody could do it, but he had to. Hold so he it. sticks it into the ground and does the whole Heimdall thing. Because I remember uh... in the the first one, he had to yell the name all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm no, I'm no, no. What's up? <laughs> Look, he's calling the cab. Yeah. The so so Steve to the the hotel room scene, the hotel room, the the hospital room scene at the end. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Were you watching I, the porn parody? Yeah. I watched a very different one. Uh, Axel Braun, I believe, is the name there. Um, the throb, the, love, and thunder. Yeah. Um, the the hospital room scene. You know, I, I too thought that on the other side of that curtain would be would be Sif, and then the three of them would, you know, ride the horse bare back into the portal and arrive in the in the eternity hotel. But anyway, um I I was in the minority here last time we talked about this, but for all of you that are saying, like, man, I wish we had more runway, I wish we had more movies. Up until the very last moment of this movie, I thought we were. Like, I thought I did not see, anticipate, think that this was going to be the end of, uh, or the quote unquote end of Natalie Portman, Thor, oh. and Jake Foster in this film. Did like, you think I, they were going to do the, the comic? I didn't know what was going to happen, but, and this is part of why I think that that ending was just so moving for me for a number of reasons. And we can talk more about it as we dive deeper into gore, but, when he was like, you know, choose love, make your wish, like whatever. I was like, are, is this, are they going to save Jane? Like yeah. is, what's going to happen here? Is he going to save his daughter? Is he going to kill all the God? Like there, up until the very last moments of this movie, I did not think that Jane was going to, was going to bite it. Now, last time we talked, all of y'all were like, no, we y'all knew for, like, go like, and I was surprised mm-hmm. by that because I, I too thought that we were going to be getting more Jane and, and, you know, perhaps she would be taking up the mantle and all of this stuff. Um, and I, I, I was genuinely surprised. And like I said, moved by, by that final scenes in eternity um, where she actually, you know, dies and goes to Valhalla, which of, mm-hmm. of course has potential down the line for Valkyrie and future, mm-hmm. whatever, if she does want to come back. And I suppose in retrospect, you know, Natalie Portman didn't want to come back at all. And she came back to do one movie. Great. Um, but uh, yeah, I, that's part of the reason why the ending re- really landed for me, because I genuinely, until that last beat, saw her being saved or, or finding yeah. a way to survive. Yeah, I saw something different was going to happen once you're in that hospital. It's like, OK, I know what the scene is from the books we, we've read. Because that's late and then, in the run, the right. hospital, like yeah. that scene when she's like, "Why would I want to be anything else?" In the Aaron run, that's much later, yeah. Yeah. right? And and there it is, the hammer calls to her again, and she shows up at the big battle, and and Odin's son looks at her, and they give this nod. It's like Jane, what are you doing? And he he gets why she has to do it, and she mm. knows why she has to do it, and she strikes the the big blow repeatedly and giving out three different catchphrases, you know, call me Dr. Jane Foster. It's like, wow, a character who was a sidebar in that first movie. And I love that first movie. Don't get me wrong, but she's just Jane. And here she is, this character we loved across years of the book, having that moment 
and then they're uh, let, let's speak to eternity we're doing eternity full-on eternity yeah holy crap we're, right, we're two somewhere things. Else. go ahead go ahead please two things i just gotta say one i will say this with ragnarok and love and thunder there are some very kirby-esque psychedelic mm-hmm. ditko things in there oh, yeah. that i think even like only some really long time fans pick up on um but with the jane thing here's and i and maybe this is where we diverged the other night i don't jane foster has not been in a thor or avengers movie other than a cameo in endgame since 2013 mm. i don't think that the like i had people in my movie theater who didn't know who she was. And wow. so I, this, this is where, because they, they, they've jumped in here in phase four, they jumped in just age. They don't, they haven't gone back and watched the, the first two because it, we love them. I, I love Thor one. I can tolerate the dark world. Um, but I mean, and that's, that's just, I think that that movie just was rushed after the writer's strike and all of that, but Patty Jenkins left and the rest of it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So this is where I think if getting back to what Steve said, shoot two movies at once or put something together. I think if you did a Jane movie, it would land because I think that Natalie Portman's portrayal of Thor was really good. And if you could flush that out, I think that that makes Love and Thunder's conclusion more powerful. Just having her be Thor for, you know, this movie, I just, at the end, it was like, I think we feel bad because we read the books and maybe we're, some of our emotions are coming from that. I don't know if it was a deserved ending on the same scale as some of the other deaths in the Marvel universe. And I think that was one of my problems. I guess one of the things for me, and I had to reconcile this, especially between the the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I went in being like, let's get this Jane Foster movie going. Like, let's do it. The mighty Thor. Like I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) And then of course, what I had to realize and then I think impacted my second viewing was unfortunately for or however you want to take it. It's, it's, it's Thor's movie. And to some degree, and it, it's very weird to say this Jane Foster's arc for all of the autonomy and, and, you know, emotionality that that arc has in this film is in some ways just in service of Thor's, ongoing arc in this franchise really which is loss and how do you deal with loss and every time he's every time he's lost someone in this franchise you know he's devolved he's gotten he's put up walls that he's put up you know, uh, uh, cheese whiz and all that. Well, all right. that stuff Close that, his heart for off for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. And, or he does some, you know, questionable things like gets a tattoo of Loki's helmet on his back, you know, like, th- th- like, and then what I had to kind of come to terms with is like, okay, so what we're actually seeing here finally at the end of this movie, and this is why I'm like, put the bow on it. Like if Thor comes back, it's cameo guidance, like King, the conqueror, all like that's old man, Thor, whatever. 
But put the bow on it here because at the end of this movie, Thor finally builds something new with this relationship. And he, he, he steps into the role of protector, finally, not of a kingdom, but of this girl that someone has asked him as a god to take care of, as a person to take care of, right? Gore the God Butcher turns to him in eternity and says, please take care of my daughter. And Thor hears that prayer, hears that request and answers it. And, 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 and then becomes the dad, becomes that all father, becomes this person. And, and finally grows out of this loss of the love of his life, really, which I suppose narratively speaking sucks that it fills another trope of, you know, a, a kind of a love interest, female character kind of dying to advance a, a, the, the male superheroes story here. Um, but fundamentally speaking, like what I had to kind of reconcile going into the second film is in a lot of ways, Jane Foster's mighty Thor arc in here, wonderful and contained and autonomous though it is, is in some ways in service of Thor's larger arc in the four movies and the Avengers movies too. Hmm. Well, absolutely, but you get that feeling that Thor has moved forward. He's actually learned something. And if we want to say he's been Rothor for too long, maybe it's in the second half of this movie he's come to something. He comforts Jane, sit, tries to say all the right things. When they're in that hospital scene, his, his moments, Hemsworth moments, he really acts the bejesus out of this movie once we get to a certain point. And that's, it's not surprising he is very good, but we haven't seen a lot of that, particularly in Ragnarok for me, until here. And just as you were saying, Joey, when I saw it the second time, and part of his anticipation, the emotional beats were so much deeper and so much harder to deal with at a certain level, I was much more moved the second time across. Though, my first viewing with it with some friends who would, who knew the general storyline of Jane becomes Thor, and I had tried to save them from the other parts of it. They were wrecks through most of this movie. Yeah. So it's it's really hard. Some of us maybe were too familiar, and others are not. And it's yeah. it's interesting to see where the reviews are coming from. They're kind of all over the place, and we're not. I'm not counting the the nitwits on the outside who are just, well, Thor should, should not ever be a lady. And it's like, just go away, please. Just, I, I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. I no, guess I the real question. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say, I think that's exactly what it is. I think there is some level of familiarity with it that creates a, an attachment that, you know, you, you obviously you recognize that you're not going to be able to get the exact thing that you want to see. You're not creating the movie as it's playing out. But you do have an emotional attachment and wanting to see some key things happen or some milestones happen. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get that. And I will absolutely admit that that's probably influencing to some degree um, my take. I do want to go back to, to your point, to the point that Joey was making earlier about the evolution in the arc. Yeah, I, I, I agree that there, you know, he he went through this arc of experiences that, you know, towards the end, the weight of it sort of hits him and he's learned and he's grown something. But I think maybe, you know, in, in viewing it from that perspective, I feel like I thought he had done that in Ragnarok. So maybe that's for me where I felt like, okay, the, 
the Thor, the king, was born and sort of leaned into recognizing the weight of what he had to do. Which, you know, I also, I think in my mind, was going back to that conversation he he had with Val um, when he asked her to be king of Asgard, sort of understanding the responsibility and him having to leave and deal with his trauma, you know, and the weight of all the things that he had just gone through, um, you know, in Endgame and everything else. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like that was this point at which we would see not the end of Brothor, because I don't think we ever want to see the end of Brothor, but the the growth of, of Brothor in a way that for this type of story where I really wanted to, I think maybe I wanted to see a little bit more of the emotions between them than we got in the movie, between he and Jane Foster than we got in the movie. Okay. Um, a little bit more, not necessarily the romance, but recognizing the pain of what they now realize the, the, the shortness of their time. Because again, then I go back to, I remember that conversation we were having about that one issue in which he explained why he is always so happy to see the Avengers or see someone from the, the team when he comes back, because from his perspective, that time is so fleeting because their lives are specks in the scope of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and how important it is for him when he realizes, Oh, because for him, time moves so differently. He doesn't quite always know how it lines up to their life. And so when he comes back, he's like, Oh wait, they're, they're still alive. Huh. You know, I, and, and I still love them and I'm so happy to see them. He, he explained that in a couple of issues of, of, I think it was 90 Cates's, uh, Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I actually assigned that as well. Um, so I kind of wanted to see, I wanted to have the room built up so that I could have the rug pulled out from under me emotionally. And I don't feel like I got that. So that's kind of where I was really hoping that they would, would lean into. Um, I do think adventure wise that it was a great adventure. I think, you know, I think there's a bar that is set by the Marvel movies in terms of just recognizing that, okay, as a baseline, you're going to have a really good time just looking at it. Mm. You know, and I think sometimes we may take that for granted um, because they've just done it so well. Um, so take that, you know, as I'm as I'm talking about the film, take that into consideration. If this were some other film, maybe a Sony film, um, I probably would <laughs> <laughs> careful now careful now steve probably found some positive time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe i would have Listen. that perspective but you know yeah. here we are he hadouken him with <laughs> but aaron i have the question that i have for you aaron mm-hmm. <laughs> is what about russell crow oh god <laughs> <laughs> That much. That's ten minutes of our lives. We're never getting back. Oh. I think y'all need to check the chat. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, reviews up and down, numbers, whatever scale. I think we can all agree that was the campiest, most ridiculous thing. The, the flounce with the skirt. Yeah, it's all. Kind oh, of what are we doing? The here? accent. What yeah. accent was I, that? I, I was laughing at that. Not 
because it was funny, but because it was bad. The, the accent was awful. It was awful, right? It was like, terrible. <laughs> yeah, they shot an award-winning actor, and that's what he came up with. That was his Greek uh, accent, I guess. Uh, this it is sounded not... Italian Russian. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is it's like Bane look, from, is... from Dark Knight. <laughs> that whole scene had no reason to happen. Uh, it really no. it just did not need to happen. Or it could have just happened that they went there. He didn't have to be in it, is what I'm saying. They could yeah. have done some sort of Ocean's Eleven type god heist or something like that, where they got the, the the lightning bolt or whatever. But seeing him do that, I was just like, Russell, every word you speak just saps my respect for you. Just like, mm-hmm. of course, of course, it sets up things. System. It sets up yeah. things for sure, and a lot of cool, like little cameo Easter egg stuff in there. A lot of a lot of celestials in this movie. Yes, we sailed yeah. past two of them, right? Yeah, but to which kind of doesn't make sense with what's going on in Eternals, but that's okay. <laughs> that's a, nothing makes sense with what's going no, on. In no, 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 <laughs> very much so. What is, what is the what is the other version of Russell Crowe's performance that they shot? Just his normal accent. Oh, just his normal Australian accent. I think, isn't it? Yeah, British kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. So at least according to that article. Steve, were you going to say something? I was just going to remind everybody that. We don't have Gladiator Crow. Is long gone? <laughs> yes. Has, has, has flown the coop. And you're now dealing with, you know, Unhinged. That is literally a movie that he was starred in. Uh, un- unhinged Crow now. Okay. So, so this isn't a beautiful mind, Crow. <laughs> look, I, I don't want to speak too ill. I just... The pattern there's there's some pattern recognition within Hollywood, and if you look at Russell Crowe's IMDb, it there is sure. he the next Nick Cage. You know, don't they usually get? <laughs> don't don't go there. For Sorry, these, like, Steve. For these like kitschy, these kitschy roles that are like ostensibly Greek in comedies, they always cast Zach Galifianakis, right? Yeah. yeah there you go. So I'm surprised they didn't just go with that here. You know, I think it would have been. And, but he, but if he just did it himself, like it was just Zach Galifianakis just doing it, just like no action. Um, and there's two. Did you <laughs> did you see that Jeff Goldblum is going to be playing Zeus in uh, Netflix's Chaos, uh, their Greek mythology series that's oh coming boy, out? It's like geez. a dark comedy. Let me tell you something about Jeff Goldblum, and I've decided this, and I'm of two minds about it because I love watching Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. But I've after watching Jurassic World, what Jurassic World Dominion, and then I watched Ragnarok again. The man doesn't. The man doesn't serve the scene anymore. He just he just, just Goldblum. Yes. Yeah. So Goldblum as Zeus sounds like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, He's and I will watch here. the memes of it. But there's well, I don't understand. Hey, we get Roy Kinto. That's true. Yeah, that's the uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about next, and then we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap it up in a bit. Um, those after credit sequences, they're good. Were were fun. They yeah. were. There's some cool implications of that in there. You got uh, Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso fame as Hercules, who's apparently a, after- a drunken nitwit on that show of Ted Lasso, which. No, he's the heart soccer of that. player. Yeah, oh, okay. he is the heart of the show. All right. No, 
No. Roy no. Ken is an incredible, incredible character through and through. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Um, yeah. So Hercules uh, apparently hunting Thor down in a future something or other, whether that's Thor 5 or something else. There have been rumblings of Thor 5 being a um, like father-daughter or, or whatever mm-hmm. road trip. Uh, getting away from from Hercules kind of thing, which could be cool. Um, but you had that, and then you had the other post credit sequence that was revealing that Jane was she made her way to Valhalla. She's greeted by Heimdall, and basically, Marvel so much as hints that she like we're setting this up for her to become a Valkyrie yeah. in in future mm-hmm. projects for sure. Which is very, very, very cool. I am very much looking forward to seeing those like death moon things uh, above people in the MCU. I want to see Mr. Horse too. Yeah. Right. And then, and Mr. then Horse. I thought we were getting Mr. Horse at one point in this movie. <laughs> really? At one point in this movie, <laughs> there was a Pegasus, and I was like, no. That's, that's Tessa Thompson's horse. Yeah, so I know. I, I, I'm going to be honest, and I kind of alluded to this in my general impressions. I don't. I don't want Thor daughter road trip running away from Hercules. Me neither. Like, I, I, don't I don't care. I don't, I don't either. No, I don't need that. Which I, I, but to your point, Steve, like then what, where does Hercules come in? Like what? I is want he- the daughters of Thor. Set yeah. that up. Yeah. The granddaughters. I, yeah. Yeah. From the, the, you the could start people. that here. Yeah. I also, th- I, I have a theory. I have lots of dopey theories and this is, this is a reach. She's a daughter of eternity at a certain point, too. Mm. What if she becomes singularity from A-Force? Mm. Possibly. It could work. Yeah. Uh, I, we, I thought she was yes. when they first oh, showed her that she, silhouette when, of her. Doesn't she blink at one point and you see like the, 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 the eternity, eternity in her she eyes? Yeah. The purple yeah. lasers out yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Just um, saying. I think mm. after Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, I think Idris Elba's Heimdall has had the most different hairstyles in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When he showed up, though, my, when both when both Roy Kent and Idris Elba showed up in those post-credit scenes, both theaters lost their minds. Um, uh, the first one was exclusively because Ted Lasso, and the second one, I think, is because... I think Heimdall, for the limited amount of screen time that he got in those for in those movies, I think Idris Elba's great. I think it's just so charismatic, and I think I always find it funny. He says he doesn't even like this doing the superheroes movies, but he keeps coming back to that <laughs> character. Yeah, <laughs> but I gotta no. be honest. As I'm watching that Hercules scene, I'm sitting there like, "That's it!" Like literally, like <laughs> Hercules. Because then I'm flashing back. I'm like. This is a guy that beheaded Thanos at one point. Why? What is there? What is her? I, literally, I'm in my mind. I'm like, what is Hercules oh. going to do? Hercules and Thor I, have had some great fights over the years. Mm. Well, Hercules and She-Hulk too. But the thing is, like mm. this iteration, I don't because it's like go kill Thor, Odin's son, and he's like, I will, father. And I'm like, this is not the kind of like beer drinking kind of fun. Uh, Boisterous. Oh, he could be. He could be. He granted, could. of course. And we don't Assuming have any who his father kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But it was such a serious, like, oh, uh, Thunderbolts kind of like scene 
that I was like, I hope it's not like this is dark villainous Hercules, you know? I think it was just matching the tone of the threat. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's the version that we're going yeah. to get. Sure. Hopefully you know, and I think honestly, version. like the yeah. the, the temper, like the the temperature of the public right now, the big deal for that was that <laughs> like, Brett Goldstein yeah. is coming into the MCU <laughs> yeah, exactly. more so than the character <laughs> yeah. debut. Like that was, that was a moment built for everyone in that theater that loves Ted Lasso to <laughs> gasp and be like, Oh, cause that's exactly what I did. <laughs> like I went yeah. by myself, but like to myself, I was like, Oh my God, it's Roy Kent. Holy shit. Roy Kent's in the MCU. <laughs> yeah. My bigger fear is that he has to do Russell Crowe's accent. No, oh, no, 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 please. He no, just needs to do his normal Roy Kent <laughs> dropping F bombs. All of Zeus's kids. Oh, was that Aaron? Is it my bigger fear is that Russell Crowe shows up? In the- <laughs> well, yeah, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Uh, 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 poor Russell Crowe. Yeah. I'll see you. I'll see you in the Walmart bargain bin, my oh, friend. Okay. <laughs> Did anybody, um, did anybody else like the part where uh, Thor picks up the hammer just to make sure he's still good? Yeah, yes. <laughs> so he, deep breath, kind of like, Phew. yeah, I got it. A little exhale. But I mean, I guess to Aaron's point, though, like that's a beat that we've already seen in Endgame. Yeah, yeah. You know? And do, do, yeah. There were five fake out deaths in this movie. Five. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tessa, Tessa Thompson got stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, but they they played the music. They yeah. they did they they did the like, <gasps> and then you found out. I was like, oh, she's just gonna put a band aid on. Oh, she's good. Never mind then. Okay, I lost well, a kidney, but thing. I'm okay. You know. So we had a whole thing that like, does the necro sword harm non gods in the same way? Because Valkyrie isn't a god. At so least it's just the a sword. It's a sword stamp. Right. Okay. It's a sword yeah. Stamp, yeah. Right? Because at the very beginning of the movie, Christian Bale like cuts himself on the sword and then it heals. Did, if you did if he, you remember that. Yes. Did he yeah. stab her with the necro sword or with yeah. her own thing? It was it's ambiguous. Watch, when you watch yeah. it again, Steve, let us know. Because if, he, okay. if she got stabbed with the lightning bolt, maybe. But if she got stabbed with the necrosword, maybe it does. It's just like it's not. It, it wouldn't kill her in the same way. That I'm gonna. Her. I'm gonna watch that scene. Maybe it's the lightning bolt. See which yeah. one But but mm. I remember vividly at the beginning of the movie, Christian Bale cuts himself on the necrosword, and then uh, for some reason, it mm. lingers on the fact that the the wound closes. I thought it was like the. I thought it was like the the necros like the material like going into his body and closing up. Oh, oh yeah, that makes that sense too. Yeah, yeah. that makes of sense. His newly formed power of his connection. Yeah, yeah, got to the sword. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Ooh. All right. Uh, what do you say we wrap this up? Because I still got to edit this sucker. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Let's I mean, go. like Shadow Planet. Remember that? That was awesome. That's all going from that. the color to the black and white. That was that, no, was, that was good. That, that was, was good. awesome. That Stuffed was awesome. Viking bunny. I like that too. I want more of those. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the kids. We never. We, last time we did this too, we totally forgot about the kids. <laughs> Incredible. There were scene. kids in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Incredible scene. There's also a puppet show. <laughs> all right. Which we uh, cut. That's. That's Thor Ragnarok. No, it isn't. Uh, no, it's not. It's Thor Love and Thunder. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, all right, no question this time because we're, we're we're this is a long one. Technically, we already um, bought our books. Do we have to go through it again? <laughs> yeah, we should tell people what we picked up. Um, but before we do, ah, uh, yeah, let's do that first. Um, Bob, what'd you end up getting this week? Wonder Woman seven eighty nine, Batgirls eight, 
Captain Marvel 39, Captain Carter number four, and Fantastic Four number 45, The End of the Reckoning War. <gasps> Woo. Uh, Aaron, what did you end up getting? So I'm working my way through the list based on what I think. <laughs> <was going. laughs> so I picked up Marauders 4. Sorry, Joey. Uh, <laughs> uh, FF45, uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El. I think I got Batgirls and Captain Marvel. I skipped Hellfire Gala. Uh, I so far skipped AXE, uh, Evil Judgment. I got Ordinary Gods, New Masters, Impact Winner, Above Snakes, and Star Wars 4 did not come out, or 3 rather, did not come out. So I think it's coming out in August now. So nah. Marvel. Uh, Joey, did you buy anything? Yes, I did. I don't know if when I'm going to be able to read it, but I got Batgirls, Immortal X-Men, Marauders. I'm mad about Marauders, Aaron, because I was waiting on them all, and then you were like, Marauders was great. So then I read one, two, three, and now I really love it. So I had to buy Marauders 4, and I'm mad about it. But anyway, um, and I also bought bought the last two issues of Naomi because I guess I missed number four. So I I bought Naomi 4 and 5. Um, oh. above snakes, I picked up and, um, hold on. I have to open it. Uh, something from boom to, uh, getting dizzy and flavor girls. Nice. Uh, John, what'd you get? Uh, I am Batman number 11, uh, AXE, Eva judgment one daredevil. Number one, fantastic Four forty five. Immortal X-Men number four, Marauders four, Wolverine number 23. And I think my, I got the second volume of We Only Find Them When They're Dead coming. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I told myself I would pick that up and trade. I oh, get that. and 8 billion genies. Yeah, I got that on my list too. Um, I'm probably going to read that tonight once we're done. Um, for me, it's just Batgirls. Uh, I am Batman rogues. Number three, final issue of that. Really looking forward to that. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, Superman, son of Kal-El number 13, which I've already read and loved it. Uh, dreamer is a character in this, uh, part of the story and they're awesome. I didn't know anything about their powers. Uh, they come into the story in a really, really cool way. And I'm already dying for the next issue. Are they from Um, TV? Supergirl, yeah. yes. Right, yeah, that's what yeah. I figured. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, Captain Marvel 39 I picked up, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Marauders, Above Snakes, Savage Avengers, number three, 8 Billion Genies, number three, Flavor Girls, number one, and Slumber, number five. I also picked up that Prodigy uh, series, and I got something else, too. I don't know. I'm thinking about diving back into Chainsaw Man again. <laughs> I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for something absurd. It's all over the news. You might as well. Yep. I think the second story arc or something just started up, but I know the anime is coming. Um, and I've seen like teaser trailers for it and it looks incredible. So I'm watching Jojo's bizarre adventure for the first time right now. And it is a wild. All right. Um, I think that's going to do it. Holy crap. I have a thing. Um, Bob. Yes. I yes. Do. I was going to say, Bob, go ahead. Okay. At the top of tonight's show, I wished a happy birthday to Miss Kelly Sue DeConnick. Well, here's another special moment to celebrate as we can mark this week and the next for the paradigm shift that would start in the comics world with the recreation of a character that, in my humble opinion, would change the game forever. It's been 10 years to the week since the release of Avenging Spider-Man number 9, which was July 11, 2012, and Captain Marvel number 1, July 18th, 
where in Ms. DeConnick recast the previously multi-fridge Carol Danvers as a person with so much agency, it fairly leapt from the page. This newly promoted captain would give Marvel a powerhouse unlike anything they had before. I believe, though, it was Carol's vulnerabilities and humanity that would provide the greatest connection to readers. To paraphrase Ms. DeConnick, and I believe it was from her first appearance with us on July 19th of that same year, Captain America gets back up because it's the right thing to do. Carol gets back up for that reason, too, but also to say, F you. That attitude excited current fans, but also brought into the mix both lapsed and new readers, some of whom had never read a comic before. That's a phenomenon I can vouch for, having heard numerous stories while waiting at Kelly Sudeconic's table at the New York Comic Con. Steve, you were there with me. Mm-hmm. This energy would permeate through Marvel editorial, taking the Marvel Now and the all new, all different initiatives into new territory with titles such as Ms. Marvel, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Patsy Walker, Hellcat, and Jason Aaron's Thor run featuring Jane Foster, among many, many others. Thing of it is, books and characters with no connection to Marvel or DC or superheroes at all would benefit from this self-same seismic shift. And that would lead to many of the positive changes we've seen in comics, both on and behind the page over the last decade. So for what my humble opinion is worth, I feel it's this character and this writer that brought us out of the dark ages of the 90s and the aughts. As a longtime Carol Corps member, I'm thrilled to add my voice to a happy birthday green to Captain Marvel and her champion, Ms. Kelly Sue DeConnick. Hooray! Happy birthday. That's awesome. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. Um, indeed, we have a lot of special characters, but Carol Danvers and characters unto themselves, Kelly Sue DeConnick, are <laughs> quite, quite treasured around here. All right. One of the oldest friends of the pod. All right, we're done. Why did I say pod? I hate that. Uh, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always... You can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Uh, Pony Express. No. Uh, old fashioned email, Bob Ryer, talkingcomicbooks.com. Joey, where are you at? Joey Bertrino. Aaron. And Aaron J. Amos. John. At John P. Burkle. I say your name the same way for every outro. I don't know. Why. <laughs> it's all right. Consistency. Um, you what? Consistency. There you go. That's me. Uh, at dead underscore anchoress is my name on the internet. Uh, follow me for all of your vicariously living through me at uh, concerts needs. And um, yeah, so for Bob, we're uh, not where can I listen? Jesus <laughs> Christ! Good night. I'm so tired. Good night. I'm tired. Good night, just good good night. night everybody. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time, on the Talking Comics podcast. Whoa! <laughs> wow! <laughs> to be continued. Good night. Goodbye. Oh, God. <laughs> I had the goat scream ready. You had it ready.